I've started to become adjusted to my strange job. It's pretty simple when you got down to it. We pick up the mail and deliver it to creatures of the night. Sometimes it leads to some dangerous situations, and other times it's literally a walk in the park. My partner, Max, helped me out a lot. I still didn't know much about the creatures we came across, but Max always seemed to know just what to say. Aside from losing my arm and getting an artificial one that looked real but felt strange, I didn't regret taking this job. Well, sometimes I do, but Max's personality makes me feel better about rough days. How the system worked is we get the package or letter from the receptionist and locate the creature the mail is meant for. Because most creatures don't live in a building, we can't just drop off the package in the area. We must find them and have forms signed saying we delivered the item, depending on what the mail is. On occasion, some nearly human creatures that do live in a house or apartment let us drop it in the mailbox. This is very rare, and normally we're chasing down things of nightmares in the night. I was meant to get a handbook when I first started, but never received one. There were so many creatures of the night out there, it was nearly impossible to fill a single book with all the information I would need. Because I didn't grow up in their world, there was an entire culture I was unaware of. A handbook for creatures that deliver mail would be much shorter than one for a human because they knew more about their world than I did. If any questions came up, Max could answer them. A question that was floating around in my mind finally came to light. I'd asked how the mailing company knew where each creature liked to hang out. Max told me that the creatures fills out a form with the help of the mailman detailing where they preferred mail being dropped off. If the creature is seen out of its area for too long, the mailing company usually gets wind of it and sends a person to ask for a confirmation of address. And that's what our new job task was. For a few days, our job was tracking down monsters in new locations, asking them if the move was temporary and they would rather their mail be delivered there or stick to the previous spot. It was a simple few jobs, but I wanted to write down three of them because we met humans on these jobs. Normally, creatures and humans do not interact beyond one hunting the other. I was the only human mailman. So far, that hadn't caused too many problems. All of my co-workers, besides Max, really didn't know how to deal with humans making things awkward sometimes. I never expected to see another human be friendly with a creature. These events all happened on different nights, but are very similar in nature. The first event happened in a park at night, and I nearly died, which isn't too surprising anymore. I was told to keep my eyes open for a man in a suit. Max had to correct himself on the shade. It was a dark red suit and he was slightly colorblind. I wasn't warned about the man being dangerous so I started to walk over to him when I saw a man in a suit under a park light. His back was facing me and he looked normal. Aside from wearing an ugly shade of maroon that is. Mr. Trace, may we speak with you? Max called out in a kind tone. Because of Max's dog ears and wagging tail, he had won over even the scariest of creatures. When the man in the suit turned to look at us, my body froze on the spot. I was staring into a void of a face. At first, it was just a black area where a face should be. Then, it started shifting into something else. His face was a void the way space was a void. We think it's empty and cold, but in reality... It's filled with so many colors and things on such a grand scale, our brains can't even begin to comprehend. His face started to morph into everything, and yet nothing. I felt my body seize up from the sight. I was beyond fear and something more primal. I couldn't see anything but the shapes and unknown colors coming from that emptiness. I was faintly aware of Max calling my name and my nose starting to bleed. 
It felt like a lifetime I stood, expecting those shapes and colors coming towards me. If they ever reached me, I knew that would be it. A fate worse than death. I don't know who saved me, but someone did by hitting me upside the head hard enough to knock me out. I woke up, head spinning and feeling sick. I was on the grass and Max placed his jacket under my head for a pillow. Someone I didn't know sat beside me looking frantic. I attempted to sit up and did not get very far before collapsing back on the ground. I'm sorry, I should have warned you about his face, but I didn't think any humans worked with the mailman. The man said, looking worried over my condition. He kept pushing his glasses up on his face as a nervous habit. He looked human, and that confused me. Then again, Vicky looked human, but she very much wasn't. I couldn't imagine the creature that nearly scrambled my brain was friends with a human. What's that thing doing hanging out with a college student? I asked, still feeling sick. You can tell? He sounded shocked until he looked at his attire and shoulder bag. Oh, well, it's a long story. I'm not getting up anytime soon. What are they doing, Max and that guy, Mr. Trace, was it? I didn't dare sit up just yet to look for them. They're feeling out of form, I think, or just talking. I, uh, haven't yet decided to ask if Trace wants to change his address or not. I looked over at him, causing my head to pound again, but I could have sworn his face was slightly red and he couldn't make eye contact with me. I didn't want to believe what I was seeing. There was no way. I can understand someone maybe seeing a creature like Max in a positive light, but was this guy really crushing on a monster with a void for a face? Are... are you dating? I asked. He shook his head, face flushed, but slowly, he started to shake his head yes and his hands kept folding over each other in his lap, not giving me a clear answer. Well, sort of, I think. No, maybe not. We hang out at the park, but I've invited him to my place when it's raining. We haven't... well, nothing, just hang out. I could finally sit up. I looked between him and the man in the suit still under the park light a few feet away. Just looking at him made me dizzy again, even if I was just looking at the back of his head. I just didn't understand how another human could look at his face and come out unarmed. How? I mean, does his face not do anything to you? My question made his face turn even redder. He nearly had to hide it in his hands, and at first, I didn't understand why he was so flustered. Then it finally clicked. Oh, that creature's face did in fact do something for him. But instead of fear, it went the other way. I assumed he liked Mr. Trace, but thought it was because the void didn't affect him. But he liked that man because of his face. Okay, got you. You don't need to say it if it's embarrassing. He appeared thankful for me, willing to drop the whole thing. But at the same time, he had some nagging question I doubt he could ask anyone else. Do you think it's wrong that I care about him? He's a monster and I know he's killed people in the past, but I... My best friend wasn't human, so I couldn't judge him. I cared about monsters that killed and ate humans before. I still saw them as people. I didn't have any plans on dating one after I found out Vicky wasn't human, though. Being friends was easy enough, but seeing them as romantic partners was impossible for me. Caring about a man with a void for a face must be hard on him. No, I don't really think it's wrong. He's not hurting you, right? Or forcing you into anything? He shook his head so hard his glasses started to fall off. 
I started to think this might be a one-sided crush, but based on how much she seemed to care about the monster, I hoped that would change. I still didn't have an answer for myself on if it was right for humans and creatures to be together, or if I was turning my back on my species because I was friendly with creatures that hunted us down. How do you deal with the idea of someone being a ruthless man-eating monster, and yet kind at the same time? Do both facts cancel each other out, or are they both true at the same time? I could understand this guy's struggle having feelings he couldn't control. Besides the whole faceless void thing that melts people's brains, Trace is a really nice guy, he even let me name him. Supernatural creatures normally didn't have names humans could pronounce. They would either pick one based on how it sounded, or whatever random name was given to them. I learned Max and his father Rufus were named after the first dogs in the local shelter Max's half-sister saw listed online. I couldn't figure out why this man settled on the name Trace, though. Well, he started, embarrassed again. His face is black, like Noir, and wasn't there a detective named Dick Tracy? I don't know if that was a film Noir thing or not. I couldn't use the first name, and Tracy felt too cute, so Trace. It was a bit of a long way to go, but was fine as long as they both liked it. Max noticed I was awake and waved at me. I gave him a little wave back, showing I was feeling better. Mr. Trace was careful not to turn around so I wouldn't relapse. I think if you love him, it's fine. I said, finally feeling my face flush a little as well. It might not be fine if you really thought about it. He was supporting something that might be harming others. It was on the same level as dating a serial killer even after finding the bodies buried in the backyard. I was so torn, wondering if I could apply human standards to these creatures. They lived in a different world than humans. We were food, and yet, could be co-workers. In this case, I knew I wouldn't reach a right answer for all these questions. So I stuck with what I said. If these two were happy, then who cares? I think I want to ask him to move in with me. He said, sounding more sure of himself than before. I felt oddly proud of him. I needed to stay behind because I was unable to really look in Mr. Trace's direction without feeling sick again. Max helped them fill out a change of address form and finish up the reason why we even showed up to start with. Judging from the reactions, Mr. Trace said yes. We made sure they both got out of the park safe, even though I doubted much would be able to harm them. I think Max just wanted to take a walk in the park. He often put off going back to the company to declare the job finished for a few minutes. We watched the pair leave while nervously holding hands. I realized then I'd forgotten to ask the college student's name, but I felt that was alright. If we kept delivering mail, we would run into them again. What were you two talking about? Max asked as he started to draw a door with chalk on the sidewalk. He could create doorways back to the mailing company when we finished our job because I was human and had no magic powers, I was unable to help with it. I thought about asking Max his opinions on humans dating creatures and if he saw it happening, but in the end, I wanted to dwell on my own thoughts before adding more ideas swimming in my brain. Nothing much. What did you and Mr. Trace talk about? He told me about a lot of funny cat videos he saw. His human would show him some on his phone and now I have a lot to look up, but I keep going over my phone limit and the company is getting angry with me for watching so many videos. When we first met, Max didn't know what a phone was. Now he got one because I was his partner. If I got lost on a job, I could text Max for help. The cell phone they gave me was magic, so it wouldn't get lost or run out of battery power, which was very useful. It was also nice to know I didn't have unlimited data. Does the mailing company have Wi-Fi or where you live maybe has it? 
I asked and realized I had no idea where Max's home was. What's Wi-Fi? He paused in making his doorway, looking confused. The rest of the night, I explained to him what Wi-Fi was and how it worked. We got back to the main building of the mailing company. I'd only seen the rooms where we received the mail to deliver and the sorting rooms. Max ran off to get a form for us to fill out, requesting the company to get Wi-Fi. There was a good chance of getting it approved. We just needed a few signatures. Since Max had an unknown number of half-sisters who all wanted to be able to use their phones at work, we filled out the signature area very quickly. I felt pretty accomplished that night. The second time I ran into a human interacting with some creatures of the night was a few days after the first. We still were collecting change of address forms from creatures. The past few days had been rough. Creatures tended to be in strange places. I found myself going from deep forests to underneath bridges to snowy mountains. Dropping by a normal apartment felt like a much needed normal sight. It was late at night when we climbed the stairs to the apartment. It was on the end, and the building was set up so the doors opened to an open-air stone balcony. The door we stopped in front of was the very first on the row. Max knocked, softly knowing humans slept at night and didn't want to wake anyone. I yawned, feeling the past few days catching up to me. The door opened, and for some odd reason, I was expecting a human, and well, not a bee. He was tall and needed to bend under the doorframe to greet us. His face was pretty much the same as a bumblebee's. His body was human-shaped, though. He was professionally dressed, wearing a vest and dress pants that cost more than my monthly rent. His hands were covered in white gloves, but a small set of arms coming from his back did not have gloves on. Without the gloves, I could see his shiny black hands that looked like it has joints similar to a ball-jointed doll. If he could wear a tie, he would. Instead, around his neck was a ring of fluffy fur that appeared to be like black clouds. I desperately wanted to touch it, but remained professional. Sorry for coming so late. I know your human friend may not enjoy being woken up. No, it's fine. We know how the company works. Come inside, please. Now, I did expect the creature's voice to have some quirk to it, like added extra sounds or pronounce his S's strangely, but he just sounded British. We followed behind into a narrow hallway. A TV was on inside. I looked around, feeling the warm apartment air on my cold face. It was a bit of an odd feeling being in a stranger's apartment in the middle of the night. As we walked further inside, the hallway opened up to a kitchen area on one side and a living room on the other. On the couch was a person sharing a blanket with another bee creature sleeping on the floor. I looked away from them, feeling guilty for staring at someone who was sleeping in their own place like I was invading their privacy. We sat down at the kitchen table and Max brought out the forms. From the living room, the creature had stood and joined us in the kitchen. He was dressed in an oversized shirt and sweatpants. He scratched at his stomach under his shirt and walked by the table to start making coffee. It's nice to meet you, Mr. Bumbleburns. Your hive's honey has always been my favorite, but it sells out so fast I haven't had it in years. Max was keeping his voice down, aware of the other person sleeping. He was wagging his tail, showing how happy he was to meet these two bee creatures. The second one making coffee was smaller and had a darker orange color instead of the pale yellow bumbleburns did. I wondered if they were related, they were the same species but didn't look too much alike. I wouldn't mind trying some honey your kind makes. I commented and Max stopped wagging his tail. I thought I stepped on a landmine from all their reactions, even the other bees stopped making coffee to look at me. It was as if everyone was waiting on the other to tell me terrible news. That is nice of you to say. However, 
Our honey isn't suited for humans. It would practically be cannibalism for a human to eat it. Bumble explained. We dropped the topic like a lead weight. I did not want to ask how they added a human element to honey, and none of them wanted to explain it. Max looked over, grasping at a way to change the topic. Oh, I haven't seen that coloring before. Uh, which hive is your friend a part of? Yes, which Bumble was glad to answer. This is Throckmorton. He doesn't speak much. His hive collapsed, so we took in as many as we could. Normally, our kind lets hives die off, but our queen is kind. We hated to see different honey flavors and harvesting methods die off, so we adopted him as a cousin. While Bumble spoke, Throckmorton placed a cup of coffee in front of us. I thanked him, a little surprised he made enough for everyone. The human from the other room finally rolled off the couch to sit down at the table. A cup was placed in front of him as he yawned, looking us over. This is Christian. Bumble introduced us, and the man just nodded. I took a sip of the coffee, finding it somewhat sweet. A flash of panic came over me until I noticed the normal brand of honey on the counter next to the coffee maker. Christian yawned again and started to look over the forms in front of him. I don't know why we need to do this in person. He said, sounding tired. I'm sorry, I wish there was a better way, but I assure you, it's for Mr. Bumbleburn's safety we do this with mailman present. Hunters could force him to fill out a change of address form in distress and cause mailmen to go to a trap. Or, on the minor side of things, if we did not witness the form being filled out, a different creature could ensure the mail was never delivered to the correct location as a prank. It's not a perfect system, but it does help. Max explained as the man seemed to accept it. Here I thought the mailman just helped creatures to fill out the forms if they couldn't write. Christian and Bumble started to fill out the sheet. The bee creature understood some of it, but he was unaware of what a postal code was, so Christian was needed. It took me a long while to clue in that Bumble was moving in with the man across from me. I sipped on the coffee, watching them. Bumble stood with a hand on Christian's shoulder while they spoke and wrote on the sheet. It was only when I saw the creature place a hand on Christian's free one in a gentle gesture, I knew what was going on. These two were dating, and I felt dense not noticing it before. I saw a flash of a bruise on the man's collarbone when he shifted and handed Max the finished forms. Oh, are you hurt? I asked, not realizing my mistake. It's a bug bite. Christian answered with no hesitation, and almost dared me to call out on how it did not, in fact, look like a bug bite, and I knew what he was implying. I kept my head still as my eyes darted between him and Bumble. I knew people were into some weird things, but a bee? Max checked over the form, oblivious of what was going on. Could we fill out another form for Throckmorton? Christian asked Max. Two bees? He was with both of them? I, I wasn't judging, but I was a bit shocked. I sipped louder on my coffee than intended, and Christian couldn't hide his smile at my discomfort. He delivers honey for the hive. We found he gets back faster if he rests here for a few hours before heading back home. If he kept going, he would be so worn out by the end of the trip, he would need a day to recover. Bumble explained as Max nodded. We always brought extra forms, so that wasn't an issue. I felt myself looking around the kitchen a little, seeing how lived in it felt. Dishes were stacked in threes inside the sink from that night's dinner. The coffee maker far too big for one person was still warm, and the large honey container would take a single person ages to finish off, but perfect for three. I looked back at them, comparing Christian to the college student I met before. He wasn't shy or nervous, he knew Bumble and Throckmorton were creatures and didn't care. He was far more open to take their hand and give a suggestive air about their relationship. 
The second form was finished and handed back. We had nothing else for the three of them and thanked them for the coffee. I dreaded how hyper Max was going to be for the rest of the night from it, but figured he needed a treat once in a while. I paused at the door to give them one last look over. I'm happy for you three. I told them, honestly. I could have sounded condescending depending on my tone, but Christian smiled as if it was the first time anyone had ever told him such a thing. I felt as if he didn't have anyone in his life to speak about his relationship, and if he did, I wondered how many people would judge him for being in love with two people at once, two monsters at once. I didn't fully understand how couples like this worked, but I was still glad they found each other. Drop by for coffee anytime, Christian offered. If we came by again to drop off mail, I knew we would be welcome to stay for a short coffee break. I nodded and smiled as I left the apartment to follow Max. He was halfway down the apartment stairs when he stopped, feeling my eyes on the back of his head. I was wondering if Max would end up with a human. He wouldn't be against it, he interacted with them very well. But aside from myself, he didn't know any. Without any doubt, someone could easily fall in love with him. He looked up at me with a smile on his face, but confused on why we stopped on the stairs. I was standing higher up, so I reached down to pet his head between his large dog ears. I didn't do it often because I felt like it demeaned him a little, but he very much enjoyed it. I was glad these two creatures found a person they cared about, and I was glad I became friends with Max. I could put aside the knowledge of how they harmed humans for a little while. When we came across another human and monster combo, it was in our final few trips of the change of address forms, and it was the most exhausting meeting. We arrived to a normal looking apartment again. I wasn't expecting much from the trip, just another creature to fill out a form and we could be on our way. The person who answered the door could pass off as human. He was a little shorter than myself, with red hair and impossible shade to be natural. His eyes burned red and his sharp teeth lined his mouth. He also had a terrible scar slashed across his face. Dato you are so I can decide if you are worthy of my time. He snapped at us, his arms crossed. We're here to do a change of address form for mail. You are currently living in this residence, correct, Mr. Red? Max asked in his friendliest tone. The man looked younger than me, and yet he was acting as if he was above us in every way. The mister in front of his name appeared to win him over. Ah, yes, I was waiting for you. This is the perfect apartment I have won over with my charm. Come inside, and I shall show you how special it is. My human is out for another short while, so enjoy my voice until he arrives. I looked over at Max, unsure if I could deal with this. I was already getting a headache from this creature's haughty attitude. Max just smiled and followed Red inside, ready to do our job. I suffered through the creature showing us mundane things, declaring them special. Max reacted as if they were. They gawked over how great a blender was, and I stayed silent. Maybe having a machine to blend drinks for you was a special thing in their world. It was when Max asked about Red's human was when the gloating really went into overdrive. Oh, you shall see when he arrives how perfect of a human I choose. Of course, he would be perfect. I was the one who picked him after all. He can use all these machines in this house. How impressive. Without any effort, he can make vegetables that were previously bitter taste wonderful. He is also able to make chunks of beef so it is raw and perfect and yet cooked at the same time. How impressive is that? Red was very much enjoying saying how great his human's cooking talents were. I nodded, hoping I was faking my agreement well enough. Red didn't notice how bad of an actor I was. He accepted our approval. 
Max didn't have to pretend. He was just happy another person was excited for something. I wondered if I stumbled into another creature of the night dating a human. Red soon made that fact very clear. So very clear, it mortified me. He started to explain how perfect his human was with certain acts that should remain private. My face flushed at the comments and I didn't want innocent Max hearing any of this. He simply nodded along, looking happy again that someone was excited to share something that they cared about with us. You must really love him, Max said when Red paused to take a breath. Correct, Red stated proudly. He stood with his hands on his hips as an oversized sweater started to slip off one shoulder. It was only after he spoke the gravity of what he just said sank in. His face started to match his hair color and Max reached over to help him adjust his shirt as the man's expression slowly started to turn to horror. Wait, no, I mean, I'm a proud member of the Molt family. I cannot actually be in love with a human. He may be perfect because I was still the one who picked him out. However, he is still a human. It is my job to keep the pride of my family alive. As Red spoke, he slowly started to lose his confidence for the first time. He looked up, silently asking me and Max to agree with him that he truly didn't care about the human he just so highly spoke of. I tried to make my brain work because I didn't like that crushed expression on his face. I think maybe your family would be proud of you for finding the best human out there, like finding something impossibly rare. Like treasure, Red said, perking up. Yes, your human can be a treasure. Max smiled over how corny I was being, but I just gave him a playful nudge. It didn't take much to cheer Red back up. Soon, Max got him on task filling out his change of address form, and we left the areas he was unsure of blank until his partner came home. I doubted I could look the man in the eyes after hearing what Red said about him. I was getting a little tired, as well as Max. Red was full of energy, ready to drag us along the place again until his partner arrived. When Red collapsed on the floor, I let out a yelp of surprise and ran over to him. He was out like a light when half a second before he was ready to run a marathon. He's fine. Most creatures can't interact with humans. They can't get the permission to do so. However, in exchange, they can only be awake at night. The sun just came up, so he passed out. Max explained, and it made me feel relieved Red didn't just die on us. Since the smaller man was light, I carried him to where he showed us the spare bedroom. Inside was a canopy bed. Apparently, direct sunlight could give most creatures a nasty sunburn after a few seconds, very much like the classic vampire weakness. I tucked him into bed and closed the curtains. Aside from the oversharing bit of his private life, I didn't mind Red too much. Max was waiting for me in the kitchen, looking over the still uncompleted forms. He debated on if we should leave them for the human to finish or wait inside a stranger's place. We settled on waiting outside for a while. Just as we were about to head to the door, a noise made us turn to the entrance of the kitchen. A man stood looking over us with a cold stare. His hair and skin were dark. One eye dark and the other blue stood out against his features, and he looked more inhuman than red. His menacing air from his eyes being in our direction was enough to make me take a step back. Normally, nothing bothered Max. He could stare nightmare beasts in the eye and ask for a signature for a completed delivery. But for some reason, this man made his face fall into blank shock. Sylvia Silas. Max's voice was barely a whisper. He knew this man from somewhere. My coworker did something I've never seen before. He became angry. Dropping the sheets, he was in toe-to-toe -to -toe with the human before the paper even finished falling. I stood, stunned at the sight, 
Sylvia was faster than Max. He dropped his bag and a long black steel spear seemed to come out of nowhere to block the claws that nearly tore his throat out. My heart started to beat so fast I felt dizzy. My vision became hazy for a moment. This wasn't like Max at all. I didn't understand why he snapped. I was looking at his back but he appeared to have grown twice his size. Massive claws dug into the flooring trying to push back against the spear. Only a second passed and my friend had gone from the perfect kind person to a growling bloodthirsty monster. Oh, I know you. Are you going to try and rip me apart for killing your sister? The man said in a monotonous voice. He didn't appear worried in the slightest over Max slowly pushing him back. I needed to place my hand in the kitchen table to steady myself. An image of Max's sister flashed through my mind and I felt myself starting to shake. I was almost sick. This man who Red spoke so highly of killed off one of the girls I cared for. I ran through all the ones I knew of hoping they were all safe. Did this happen before I met Max? I'm certain he would have told me if it happened afterwards. I didn't blame Max for his reaction, but I was still terrified of my own friend, and I felt guilt over the reaction twisting my stomach. It was regretfully valid. You saved her from harming others or herself further. However, explain to me why one of the top hunters is in a relationship with one of our kind. Max hissed, and it was not in his normal voice. It sounded deep, like the monster he truly was. I felt my throat close up and I couldn't add to this conversation. I don't believe that is any of your concern, Sylvia said in a cold tone. That answer made Max even more angry at the man. He pushed until he was able to slam Sylvia against the doorframe, the wood cracking under the pressure. Snarling down at the man, I saw a hint of orange eyes burning in rage. The steel spear started to slowly bend. If you hurt him, I swear I'll kill you. My friend's tone made my blood feel like ice. My legs nearly gave out from under me and I fully expected Max to snap and just kill the man anyway. In the face of death, the man smiled. Not a cocky one daring Max to try and fight him. Instead, a calm one. The tension in the air slowly started to fade and Max started to pull back. Good. I'm glad Red has someone who cares for him. Sylvia lowered the spear and Max no longer looked as if he wanted to kill the man. My friend backed away, looking like his normally cuddly self. He spotted me and had an ashamed expression on his face from losing his temper. I was still shaken from the entire event. Max grabbed the address forms he dropped and offered them to Sylvia. If Red is going to live here, he needs to fill out a change of address to get his mail. Max said, but didn't look the hunter in the eyes. The forms were taken from his hand, and Sylvia finished them as if he wasn't almost killed a few seconds beforehand. Max still didn't look at the man when he took back the finished papers. He tucked them away, ready to leave now that our job was done. Do you love him? Max asked, unable to stop himself. Yes, against my better judgment. I was going to use him for information about your world, then kill him. However, he is far too charming. I'd regained some of my composure. Neither of them batted an eye over the fact my legs shook the entire confrontation. I was still a little afraid that they were going to get into a fight if the hunter said the wrong thing. This was the first time I even encountered a hunter before. They were humans that formed a group to take down supernatural threats. It turned from killing dangerous creatures to killing any creatures. While working, I've met kind monsters, some better than humans in every way. 
But these hunters didn't care. If it wasn't natural, it should be dead. Over 500 years ago, hunters killed thousands of the mailmen, and due to that, I was the only human they hired since the mass killing. Supernatural creatures could be very forgiving when it came to others killing the ones they cared about if there was a valid reason behind it. Max would not kill because his sister was taken down if she went feral, which happened at times. But he would if this man turned on red after the monster cared for him so deeply. Does he know what you are? Max asked, almost like an interrogation. Sylvia paused. He was picking up the bag he dropped when Max attacked him. It was clear he hadn't let Red in on what his line of work was. No, I haven't been able to break the news to him yet. I'm going to do so soon. Just wanted to give him a short while longer of a good relationship. Even if it may be false, if he kills me for hiding the truth, then so be it. I was chewing on my lip, feeling stressed out over what we walked into. I placed my hand on Max's back as a sign we should be leaving. He gave me a small nod and gave Sylvia one last look. It wasn't the one of hate as before, but he still disliked the man. You better take care of him until then. It was one last threat, and Max and I found our own way out. I was silent the entire way until he found a good spot to make a door to get back to work to report the task finished. The door was ready, but Max didn't open it. Still hunched over with his back turned to me, I sensed his discomfort. Did I scare you? He asked plainly. I paused, thinking about my answer. Yes, I said honestly. He looked up at me, giving me a small sheepish smile. I had been scared more frightened than I'd ever been in my entire life. When Max was still Max, at least I now knew he was a big scary monster in case anything ever tried making trouble for us. He offered his hand for me to take, which was pretty rare of him. I think he was aware of how badly I wanted to touch the pads on his hands, but didn't, knowing that would be disrespectful to treat him like a dog. I think I earned a few minutes of holding his hand. We only had a few more change of address forms to finish up. And thankfully, none were as eventful as the one at the hunter's place. A week after that incident, I had a doctor appointment for my arm. Because it was a false one made and attached by supernatural means, I needed to have it looked over once every three months, more often if it started to hurt, which it did. Max went with me because we were on the job at the same time delivering something to the clinic, so I could have the doctor look over my arm after. Dr. Philo was a rare creature that could treat both humans and monsters. He looked completely human. His style was from the 1800s though, making him look a bit out of date. Even his office looked to be from a past era. It was cluttered with glass bottles and vials, piles of paper covered his desk, and the room was mostly filled with cluttered shelves. Max sat beside me as Dr. Philo looked over my arm. It turned into a general checkup, all of which Max waited patiently. He behaved and only touched a few things on the cluttered desk. He was being so good because of what happened any time we dropped by the doctor's office. After the checkup was done and I received a clean bill of health, Dr. Philo gave us some tea and treats while we went over the results on my arm. The tea oddly tasted of flowers, but it wasn't too overpowering. Our treat today was a piece of cheesecake. I was handed a plate with a slice of blueberry and Max was given a plate with such a massive slice I wondered how big the cake was. It looked to be peanut butter. I heard his tail wag as he wasted no time diving into the dessert. 
I paused with the fork halfway in the air because I realized Dr. Philo may have some insight to a question that was bothering me. So, we did some change of address forms and came across three couples. They were all men dating creatures. I just find it a bit strange that they were all men. Is there a reason why it might be more likely? I asked. Dr. Philo paused, thinking about my question. He adjusted his golden rim glasses with a nod. I believe there can be a few factors that go into there being an increased chance of same-sex couples within the supernatural world. To start with, there are different religions, and same-sex couples do not carry the same amount of shame as it does in your world. It allows creatures to experiment more freely to see what they're into, as it were. The doctor explained. It seems as if these humans were into them if you know what I mean. hey yo. Max raised his hand and on reflex, Dr. Philo gave him a high five. They both looked puzzled over the exchange. Max almost never made dirty jokes. We blamed the entire thing on him having too much sugar and the doctor being unable to leave a high five hanging. Anyway, Dr. Philo went on. The fact that more males end up together is due to females being pressured into creating as many children as possible. Most creatures who reproduce needing two genders have a very low birth rate. Males are able to sleep with whoever they like, but females are encouraged to only have a relationship with the same gender if they have produced a child. There is also a low rate of females compared to males, so they are in demand. They can afford to be picky with their partners, males not so much. There is a very good chance of a male supernatural creature falling for anyone who gives him a small amount of positive attention. In fact, people are betting on when Max starts trying to date you. Max choked at the comment. <laughs> Toby is, like, undateable. He said, shocked at the idea. I reached over to take his plate slowly out of his hands. Max let out a helpless whimper, but didn't resist. He just watched as the piece covered in whipped cream he saved for last slowly drifted away. I gave him a chance to explain himself before taking the cheesecake away forever. No, what I mean is dating Toby would be like dating my sister, it's gross. Max corrected. I gave him back his plate after adding the extra whipped cream from my cheesecake onto his. It was nice to know I didn't have to worry about Max falling for me. He was my best friend and I did love him, but he was like my little brother. After he finished shoving the last of his food into his face to prevent it being stolen again, he turned to me. Speaking of which, stop trying to date my sisters. I'm not trying to date your sisters. I told him, wondering how he even got the idea. Giving them presents is like courting them. He explained. I did often give them packs of gum when I saw them for work. I would never have assumed such a small gesture would mean something. It must have made me look bad. I wasn't trying to date all his half-sisters at once. But giving them gifts may have made it appear that way. Can I just still give them gum and not have it taken the wrong way? I asked, and Max nodded after thinking for a while. If all of this is out of the way, Dr. Philo got our attention back to him. Toby, I would like you to use your arm a bit more. It was made and attached by unnatural means, so it may not react the way you would assume. It's possible you're avoiding using it because of the slight pain, but you need to use it more for that to go away. Max can help you with this activity. He opened his desk to dig around for a bit. When he pulled his hand back out, he was holding a fist-sized ball with cute crabs printed along it. Play fetch with Max for about an hour to two every week, but don't lose this ball. It's special. As he handed the ball over, Max's wide eyes never left it. He was completely still, aside from his tail wagging so fast it could break the sound barrier. 
Special? Is it magic? I asked. No, but the artist who draws crabs are very popular with supernatural creatures right now. It was pretty hard to find this for you. He replied. No matter how often I was around these creatures, I may never be able to predict their answers. I could tell Max wanted to play, and Dr. Philo had other appointments, so we started to head out. There was a park close by, and I wondered if we had time. After all, we should have gone back to work after my checkup, but Max kept telling me we were fine to play for a bit. I paused at the door of the clinic to watch Dr. Philo and the man he had working on the register in the main shop. His clinic looked like a mystic shop with crystals and natural healing out front, then all the real clinic workrooms in the back. They were speaking about stock in the latest transaction, but I swear I noticed something between them. Maybe it was from how long the doctor smiled about a simple statement. Without any doubt, the man was human. He may be aware of Dr. Philo's real clients and the fact the doctor was a creature of the night. Or he could just be some hired help. I was nearly dragged out of the shop by Max, so I couldn't dwell on it. We played catch in the park for a while. My arm felt sore and stiff at first, but tossing the ball around did help. I was avoiding using my arm too much until then, and I just never really noticed. While we played, I was deep in thought over everything I'd seen the past few weeks of doing the change of address forms. Supernatural creatures ate and killed humans, but they also fell in love with them. I was having trouble trying to accept the fact that there could be good people within their world that did horrible things. Max was the best person I'd ever met, but when he was younger, I knew he killed a human or two, and he was willing to kill Sylvia. I wondered if I could do the same thing, if my life depended on it, if I could kill someone. Maybe a creature, but not a person. Maybe Max didn't see us as equals, so that was why it was easier for him. But if that was the case... Why did he care about me so much? I didn't arrive to an answer, and I thought it was possible I may never have one. My arm was starting to get tired. I was about to ask Max to take us back to the office when I heard a voice behind us. You were due back two hours ago. One of Max's sisters, one I hadn't met yet, was storming over to us. I was unaware of the fact we needed to head right back, and I couldn't create the door back to work either. Max did so, or they just showed up on their own. No, we still have time, Max told her while staring at the ball in my hand. I realized my mistake. Max was in a trance over the side of the ball and he couldn't think of anything else. Furious, his sister took it from me and tossed it as hard as she could. It went clear across the park and out of sight. I needed that ball for physiotherapy, I said in a small voice. I'll get it. Max didn't waste any time running off after the ball. I knew he would find it, but I needed to be extra careful in the future and put my foot down when it came to work and playtime. His sister huffed, but waited for him to return so she could get us back and onto the next delivery job. I followed her when Max came back with two balls. Mine, and one he found that I let him keep. I'm still wondering about how monsters could be so kind, and yet so terrifying, like my co-workers. At the start of my day, I got a text from my coworker Max, someone who was slowly becoming my best friend. It was a very simple message that filled me with dread. I have the best idea ever. I replied to the text to question Max about the vague message. I cared about him and knew he didn't make the best choices when I wasn't around. My suspicions were confirmed when I arrived to work to see Max missing. My job is to deliver mail to creatures of the night. 
I didn't fully understand their world and the systems they lived by, so I got extremely lucky when they assigned Max as my coworker. He looked human enough, but was literally an oversized puppy. He had dog ears, a tail, and dog legs, just like his father, who I had worked with for one job before it ended in disaster. His stepsisters were the receptionist that met us in the zero rooms to hand over the mail to be delivered. They also gave us any extra information we might need pertaining to the current job. I entered the zero room, which just looked like an empty office space with a single fold-out table for the receptionist to sit behind. Aside from Max being missing, I saw that she had her face in her hands and was clearly in distress. I quickly went over to her, worried about what would cause her such grief. Normally, Max's sisters were all stern and almost cold in their personalities. They looked identical to each other and it was nearly impossible to know how many stepsisters he had, along with all of their names. Oh, what's going on? Is everything alright? I asked her as my worry spiked. She shook her head, soft brown hair brushing her shoulders. I guess she was Sal because of how long her hair was compared to the others. Max isn't going to be in today. You'll be working with Belizes, she said, sounding choked up. My body felt cold. I was more concerned over my friend not answering my text than working with the creature that ate my arm. My job had replaced the chopped off arm with one that looked normal and worked well enough. Belizas hadn't interacted much with me since what happened, even though we both now worked delivering mail. Is he alright? I asked, my voice shaking. A thousand horrible outcomes ran through my mind when my coworker for the day kicked open a door on the far side of the room. I ignored her and waited until Sal could gather herself enough to look up at me, with tears in her eyes. At first, she couldn't even speak. He... he got his head stuck in a peanut butter jar. I can't believe I'm related to someone so stupid. I now understood why she looked so distraught. If my older brother was dumb enough to do something like that, I would question my bloodline. Beliza stopped in front of the desk, leaned over it, and placed an arm down, clearly trying to flirt with the emotionally wrecked receptionist. Belizeus was tall and thin with a flat chest. Aside from a perfect face and long white hair that warmed into red, she didn't have much to work with attraction-wise, but she still tried every chance she got. It's a shame seeing a pretty thing like you cry. I can cheer you up or give you something else to cry about if you're into that kind of thing. Belizeus raised an eyebrow and Sal looked at her in disgust. I kicked her leg out from under her so she slammed into the table, nearly taking it with her as she collapsed to the ground. We both proceeded to ignore her cries of pain. This should be a simple job. Belizeus is strong and knows the way so hopefully you won't get into too much trouble. Sal commented as she handed me a box I quickly tucked under my arm. We went through the job in a few minutes. We would be going into the maze. The area changed constantly. The first time I went inside, it looked like an endless version of the Zero Rooms. The second time, it was a cornfield. This time, it would be what Sal described as a cliché run-down abandoned mental hospital. The package that needed to be delivered was just a lightweight and small cardboard box. I started feeling fairly nervous doing a job without Max. I looked at my temporary partner, trying to figure out my emotions. Belizeus nearly killed Max when we first met. He'd taken my arm in exchange for his life and eaten it. The fake arm I now had was because she agreed to work for the mail company for a year just to amuse herself. I might have gotten a basic false arm through work, but she worked her connections to get me a better one. 
Aside from some shoulder pain and not being able to feel temperature, it functioned like a regular arm. Honestly, I had reasons to dislike her and ask for a different partner, but instead, I decided to forgive her for some unknown reason. Come on, let's get started. Leave poor Sal alone. She thankfully listened, and we went towards the door on the far side of the room. My hand shook when I reached out for the handle, not wanting to see what waited on the other side. Belizeus didn't want to wait, she shoved us both through the door and into the dark, musty-smelling hallway. I noticed she wasn't wearing her work uniform, but had a patch of our company's logo pinned on her sleeve. The uniforms protected us from minor damage a creature might throw our way while in the field. It had already saved me a few times, and the only reason why Rufus had lost a leg was because he rolled his pant leg up to let his dog legs move around better. The door clicked shut behind us, letting us know there would be no turning back now. The entire building had seemingly turned to ruins long ago. The paint on the walls was flaking and cracked off in places. Some black mystery stains along the floor looked as if something wet had been dragged down the hallway at some point. Somewhere, a breeze came through an open window and caused a broken hanging light to sway slightly. At least, I was with someone pretty powerful in a creepy place like this. You need to get the box to the basement. The elevators work most days, but if they don't, the stairs should be alright. Just don't talk to any of the things roaming the hallways and don't let them grab you. My temporary partner said and slapped my back so hard and knocked the wind from my lungs for a second. Why are you talking like you're not coming with me? I demanded after I recovered. Belizeus looked down, a dreadful smile plastered across her face. The tips of her hair had already started shifting into flames and her attention got pulled elsewhere. A form appeared down the hall and it kept staring at us. It was a dark shape made of faces twisting into each other. I suppressed a scream at the sight, but she appeared delighted. Her body changed to look much like how she looked when we first met. Her skin became dark and cracked and her head disappeared in flames. I never got to mess around in places like this. She cackled and charged forward, leaving smoldering spots where her feet touched the floor. Both forms clashed together in an instant brawl. I don't know why I forgave her for anything. Belizeus only had one thing on her mind. Herself. She wanted to get stronger and show off the power she collected. Instead of doing her job, her goal for the day was simply to play around. More dark shapes came from the room attracted by the noise. One got too close for comfort and I took running off. I couldn't fight these creatures like my terrible partner. A while ago, I'd been given a sunlight by an overly friendly creature. It was meant to hurt other monsters who all mostly couldn't deal with powerful sunlight. Even Max could be hurt if I used it around him. Now, a good idea would be to carry that around at all times with a job like my own. But that sounded smart, and I wasn't very smart most days. I'd washed my uniform that night and took the bulky flashlight-shaped weapon out of the pocket without grabbing it on the way out the door that day. I had no idea how I hadn't already died on jobs like this. I raced down the hallway, ducking between dark shapes and toward the elevator doors. I pressed the rusty button and heard a faint chime signaling the elevator was coming. I jogged on the spot, clutching the box to my chest and praying whatever we were dropping off would be worth all of this. Flames from Belizeus' fight came down the hallway and I could feel the heat from them. I needed to get away before she roasted me along with the rest of the building. Thankfully, the steel doors cracked open, but to my horror, someone was already inside. Black human shapes stood there all facing the back of the elevator. I gasped in fear, 
and it caught their attention. One turned its head, showing its lack of a face. Something had ripped the entire thing off. Some only had their jaws ripped off and others were only missing parts of their eyes. Each slowly started to stretch their blackened arms out trying to reach me. The stairs it was then. I frantically pressed the button to close the doors and took off like a bullet towards the train. I slammed the stairway door, knowing something started to follow behind me. Without any way to lock the door, I ran down the stairs, taking two at a time when possible. Finally, my lungs and legs gave out and I had to take a break. I huffed and puffed in the ruined stairway, praying that nothing caught up while I did so. I looked over the railing to see how many floors I had left. The stairs twisted downward into the darkness, appearing to go on forever. The sight of the endless stairs made me a little dizzy. Leaning against the cold cement wall, I wondered if this job was really worth it. Max's smiling face came to mind, and I decided it was. I might be killed on one of these jobs in a ridiculously terrifying way, but at least I got to meet him. After I recovered, I went down the stairs a bit slower than before. I passed each floor without really feeling as if I had made any progress. A muted sound came from above, causing me to look. I squinted and thought I could see eyes shining back in the pitch darkness. I heard the sound again, this time a bit louder, and I could just barely make out a hint of song echoing through the stairway. I moved my feet against the cold ground, getting ready to run. The blackness above my head started to come down closer, as if it had all became liquid, ready to strip down and consume everything below. I needed to run. No matter how hard I pressed myself, that song and the sound of moving water got even closer. I didn't dare look up, fearing what I might see. I knew I had no chance of reaching the bottom before the creature in the stairs caught up. I tried every door I passed just hoping one might open. Dark tendrils started to catch up, and yet, I still refused to look at the source. Each rusted handle rattled, staying locked and mocking my growing fear. Just before my emotion spilled over, a door opened and I ran into a well-lit hallway. I kept running, passing by a lively-looking nurse next to a cart, causing me to question my sanity. She called after me, telling me to stop. I refused to listen. For a moment, the place looked like a normal hospital. Then, what lurked in the stairway came flooding inside. The darkness poured in, the thick liquid reaching out and corrupting everything it touched. The building rotted away as the darkness washed over every inch of the place behind me. The nurse turned into black sludge, making me run even faster. My body couldn't keep up with this pace. I needed to find a way out or I was going to rot away like everything else inside this place. Something very unexpected happened. My partner, who had abandoned me to do her own thing, appeared before me without either of us expecting it. The moment right before the darkness caught up to me, she came crashing through the ceiling. Her body slammed down so hard into the floor that it crumbled away, catching me in the fall. My stomach leapt into my throat as I fell, and Belizea <laughs> screamed out a cackle of a laugh as she blasted through the floor under us before we crashed into it. She wasn't even aware I was next to her for a second. I shouted at her to do something other than fight, causing her to finally notice me. With a wide smile on her face, she twisted her body towards the oncoming floor and her hair started to glow. My uniform protected me from the heat when she unleashed a blast of flame so powerful it tore through the countless floors below. The darkness screamed behind us and shot forward to twist around her. I got caught up in their fight and let out a scream 
as we fell downwards while black tendrils wrapped themselves around us. The darkness overtook my sight for a while. I felt as if I hit the ground, which caused my body to scream in pain just as another blast of heat tore through the blackness that surrounded my vision. I found myself sitting up, having nearly crushed the box we were meant to deliver. While Beliza stood by my side, her entire head and hair flaming, the corruption of the metal hospital slowly backed off. With another gleeful laugh, she charged at it, not wanting her fun to be over. She left me behind yet again while she chased after our main threat. I sat in the new hallway, stunned over how the last few seconds had played out. My face felt as if it had gotten a sunburn from being so close to Belize's, but I somehow managed to avoid any other injuries. Standing back up, I started to try and figure out where we had ended up. At least this area looked nicer and cleaner than the rest. I walked down a white hallway filled with an endless line of doors, my nerves fried and expecting something to jump out at any moment. Further down the hallway, a dark shape flickered. I pressed on, thinking I may be lucky to just walk by it. I almost passed it without looking down when a soft voice made me stop. My bear, do you know where it is? A whisper came from behind. Against my better judgment, I looked over my shoulder. The one that spoke asked the question again as they ran their hands along the floor. Long, dark hair covered their face and the rest of their body looked as if it might crack if anything touched it. Another smaller, dark shape was nearby. I could have just kept going, and yet I walked over the black bear plush and picked it up. Carefully, I got down low in front of the figure and handed the plush over. Thin, small fingers tightened over the fur, expecting it to be taken away. When the toy was safely in their grasp, I thought I saw a hint of a smile on their face, and they faded away. A clicking sound came from down the hallway, and a door appeared at the end of it. My heart started to beat quickly when I thought that it might be either a way out or the place I needed to deliver the box to. I took one step forward and spotted more nearly transparent shapes looking over at me. They didn't feel like they were a threat, but I still didn't want to get near them. Each careful step brought me closer to the end of the hallway, and what I thought was my way out. Every time my foot landed on the tile floor, something else took a step closer. I clutched the box tighter, breathing as quietly as possible, trying not to make a single sound. I had a chance of making into the door without any issue if I was just careful. Someone started to cry behind me. Again, against my better judgment, I looked over. I felt torn. The door was so close and yet I was unable to help myself. I took a few steps back to the dark and faded shape that was quietly crying to themselves. Can I help you with something? I asked in a low voice and got down to my knees. The figure appeared startled even though they were missing their face. They looked around, trying to see if I was talking to them. When they realized someone paid them some attention, they raised their hands up to rub their missing eyes. Can you listen for a while? They asked in a voice ruined from tears. I nodded, knowing I didn't really have a time limit on the job. The voice started out slow, telling me about their early life of living in a small farmhouse and of hearing the voice of their deceased mother. Without a way to keep track of the time, I patiently sat and let them tell me their story, how they had ended up in the hospital and how they died there due to neglect. 
I felt terrible for this poor person, and by the end of their story, I needed to rub my eyes, trying not to let my own tears show. Having another person care about their death somehow calmed them, with a small, sad smile on a hint of a face that appeared, the figure faded after placing a hand in my own and saying a soft thank you for listening. I needed to collect myself before getting back up. By the time I was ready to move again, more of those shapes of long dead people were closing in. Some asked me to listen to their troubles, others begged me to find things for them. Some wanted important possessions like rings or toys, and others were looking for family members or partners. I wanted to help them all, I truly did, but they came in such large numbers I became swarmed with them, their dark thoughts and past regrets filling the hallway like a dark sea I couldn't escape from. Just as I thought I was going to be pulled into all their past misery, a hand reached over and dragged me away. When I woke up, I sat up coughing, <coughs> trying to shake off all those dark feelings. A man stood over me, looking down from under large glasses that reflected light from the monitors that lined the entire wall. The room was dark otherwise, making it hard to see where he had taken me to. I froze, feeling tense, and wishing I had some sort of weapon just in case this man wanted to try something. Is that for me? He asked, pointing to the box I needed to deliver. Uh, are you... I paused to read the label on the box. Dr. Wick? I asked slowly, even as I could see a name tag on his lab coat. He didn't bother answering, he just reached out for the box. I handed it over and got the paper form to sign to show the delivery had been finished. He didn't see the slip of paper and tore into the box in seconds. All of his attention went to whatever was inside, what I had nearly died for. Four other arms slipped from under his coat, and within seconds, he nearly had a small model of some sort of complex robot together before I cleared my throat and waved the delivery paper in his face. He jumped, his glasses slipping down his face. Oh, right. I just got excited. This Gundam just got released, and it's nearly impossible to get them down here. Now that my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I noticed some shells filled with more of those toys in the room. I held back a groan, hating the fact that my life was worth a few minutes of entertainment just so this man could put together a collector's item. After I saw his face, I could have sworn he looked familiar. I brushed that aside and asked a more pressing question. I don't have to walk through this entire place to get back out, do I? I asked him, fearing the worst. Oh no, I'll make a doorway out. You're that human, right? The one who is missing their arm? He questioned when we walked toward the closed door. Yes? I said, confused on why he would care. I requested you because your doctor is my cousin. Could you bring this letter to Dr. Phil the next appointment you have? He requested as he pulled out an envelope for me to take. I did a double take at his face. Now that I looked harder, I could see the similarities. I never would have thought Dr. Philo had any family that weren't as serious as himself. At least, now I hadn't just nearly died for a toy, I had nearly died for a toy and a letter, making the trip slightly better. Also, I wanted you because you're human. I need to thank you for treating some of my patients so kindly. Most creatures dislike human spirits. This place isn't suited for creatures like your partner. Dr. Wick commented, I looked over to the monitors to spot Beliza still fighting. At least she was enjoying herself, but was this alright? Wasn't she hurting some human ghost trapped in this place? 
Sensing my question, the doctor kept speaking. This place was never a real hospital. It was made to collect spirits and attempt to help them pass on. The corrupted ones need that darkness to be destroyed, which your partner is doing right now. The ones on the lower floors are more difficult. Very few supernatural creatures can deal with them. My job is to listen to them to help them pass on, but it does become taxing on the mind after a while. I needed an outlet to relax. You not only brought something I could take a short break with, but also laid to rest two spirits. So thank you. I'll send a message to your supervisor saying how good of a job you did. He sounded worn out, but also as thankful as his words suggested. I felt a little embarrassed by his praise. As far as I could tell, no one had ever complimented me on a job before. I was just doing my job. You really don't need to pass that along. I said honestly. He smiled again, making him look tired. He opened the door, and instead of the hospital hallway, I could see the zero room. I asked about Belizeus, but Dr. Wick said he would send her on her way after she wore herself out. She was doing a lot of work for him, and he didn't feel like kicking her out just yet. He thanked me again, and I started to walk to the small receptionist table feeling a little bit proud of myself. Sure, I was going to have major nightmares of that hospital for the rest of my life, but I hadn't died after my partner ran off. Speaking of my partner, before I reached Sal to tell her how the job went, someone tackled me into a tight hug. My mood brightened when I pulled away to see Max beaming and wagging his tail. I'm so glad you made it out. It must have been scary on your own. His voice could barely be heard over his wagging tail. His neck had a bruised ring around it, and I really worried that he had come closer to death than I did that day. I took his cheeks in my hand and pressed them together and squished his face. The happiness of seeing him nearly overtook any disappointment over him being so stupid. I can't believe you. Your head in a peanut butter jar? You made Sal cry. What would your- I wanted to scold him, asking what his father would think of his oldest child's behavior when a light coming from the ceiling stopped my words. We all looked up when a transposition circle appeared. I didn't know much about magic or anything on how to use it, but I'd seen enough of these circles to know what they were. The glowing faded when a small shape came falling out of the circle into the carpeted ground. Sal started to get up from her chair, still in shock from the sight. A small brown dog with a different colored back leg fell to the ground on its side. A large jar of half-eaten peanut butter was firmly stuck over his head and around his neck. I honestly thought the poor thing was dead until one leg twitched. Is that your dad? I asked, unable to say anything else. Max and Sal became a blur of motion as they ran forward to rescue their father from the jar. She kept a hold of the small body as he pulled on the plastic jar, his clawed feet tearing into the carpet from the effort. They thankfully got the jar off, letting Rufus gasp in clean air. Then, both of them pulled harder on him as he tried to stick his head back into the jar. For the first time since it happened, I felt a little less guilty that Rufus lost a leg while trying to save my life on our first job. Knowing this family, it was a matter of time before he lost a limb over something stupid. Defending a human just so happened to be the thing that got him first. While struggling to keep her father in dog form to stay still, Sal said I was free to go home. I thanked her and left the odd family in the zero room, fully ready to forget this day ever happened. Lately we've been getting fairly easy delivery jobs, which I desperately needed. With work going at such a relaxed pace, I noticed how Max started to act at the beginning of the work week. It wasn't really a noticeable change, and I doubted anyone but myself could see it, 
He just felt a bit off, almost as if he'd been forcing himself to get excited over things he normally enjoyed. We were asked to go to the sorting room for a few hours to help them get caught up right after we finished our latest easy delivery job. Aside from all of my monstrous co-workers, I didn't mind the sorting room. It was pretty easy work and a nice way to pass the time. Rufus knew we were coming and waited by the door for us. To my horror, he stood on some crutches and with his replacement leg missing. I got dizzy at the sight of his bandaged knee and spluttered out a question about how it happened. I expected Max to be upset seeing his father missing a leg again, but he took it in stride. Did you chew off your leg? Max asked calmly. I did a double take, mouth open at the mental image of the question. Rufus let out a sigh, almost sounding guilty. Yeah, the replacement one wasn't really agreeing with me or healing right. I might just go with a false one instead of a transplant. He answered, and Max nodded as if this conversation was normal. Supernatural creatures were... weird. That much was certain. In an earlier case, I needed to cut off my own arm to save Max, and getting a replacement turned out to be very easy. I guessed human limbs were easier to replace than dog ones. Rufus lost his leg on our first delivery, and it hadn't healed yet. I felt horrible that he still had to go through all these issues because I made a mistake way back then. Would my blood make things easier on you? I mean, would it help a transplant stick? I offered. Virgin blood apparently did a lot for creatures, and thus was very sought after. Most people wouldn't assume a 30-year-old guy like myself wouldn't have hooked up with anyone yet. It was an embarrassing fact to admit, and the only silver lining of my situation is that I might be able to donate some blood to help Rufus heal faster. Don't worry about it. Sometimes it takes a few tries to find a good replacement part for any given creature. I do appreciate the offer, but don't advertise your blood in such a public space. That's something you really need to keep as secret as possible. You never know who might go after you for something like that. Rufus pointed out. I grew tense and looked around the mailroom and at the others walking around. I felt terrified by some of my co-workers, but so far none had made any hostile moves around me. A pile of mushrooms taller than myself moved slowly between letters, and a pair of human hands covered in fungus extended from the pile to take an envelope and place it somewhere else. The sight made my skin crawl, but for the most part, I trusted my co-workers. Then again, they might slip up and mention my blood to someone outside of the company, causing a different creature to try and hunt me down. After all, I got this job because I went on one bad date after my body in all the wrong sorts of ways. Hey Max, can you get started on sorting? I want to ask Toby something. Rufus asked. Max's big ears perked up, wanting to know why he had been shooed away. But he was a good boy and listened to what he'd been told. When he left, I looked over at the taller man, confused about what Rufus may want to say without his son listening in. Could you do me a favor and invite Max over to a sleepover or something fun? Rufus asked me when he thought Max was far enough away to not be able to listen in. I would love to, but why are you asking? I questioned. I really didn't get to hang out with Max often enough. Aside from working together, we didn't really find the time to do anything. At least, he had gotten the hang of using a cell phone so we could text on our off times. But generally, most of our jobs were just about hanging around and waiting for a creature all day. So I didn't find I missed his company by not meeting after work. His mother's death date is coming up this week. I know he's tried acting like it doesn't bother him, but this time of year always hits him hard. He's getting close to becoming a full adult and it upsets him that she's not around for a celebration like that. 
He does care for his stepmother, but it's not really the same. He's been getting into human culture lately, and I figured you two doing something could cheer him up a little. Rufus explained in a heavy tone that didn't suit him. I looked over toward Max, who had started sorting some letters. Sensing eyes on him, he turned and waved, then got back to work. I sort of understood how he felt. My mother left when I was younger, just disappeared into thin air. From time to time, news came up of her living somewhere else or other, so I doubted she'd met some awful fate. She just decided she didn't want a family any longer. I tried to pretend that I didn't miss her, but that was a lie. I wanted to be angry at her for leaving, and yet I couldn't bring myself to feel any kind of negative emotion toward her, beside being upset that she wasn't around. It must be harder for Max to have lost his mother in a different way. We can totally have a sleepover. It'll be fun. I said, glad to be able to help in some way. After all, hanging out with a guy that was basically an oversized puppy should be fun. But my luck didn't hold out, and I couldn't just have one nice day with a friend. That Friday, Max knocked at my apartment door around dinner time. He stood in the hallway, holding a large pillow and dressed in a nightgown with soft shorts underneath it. His tail was wagging under his long shirt, moving the fabric. He had assumed that the longer sleepwear was unisex, and I didn't bother correcting him. As long as it made him happy, I really didn't matter what kind of PJs he wore. I let him inside and got to ordering food. I knew how much he could eat and how excited he was to try out a bunch of different foods, so we ordered a lot. I also bought some candy and enough soda to drown a small country. I didn't know if the caffeine would be alright due to him being part dog or whatever kind of supernatural creature he was, but he assured me it would be fine. Because I lived alone, I had put my TV in my bedroom and hooked it up to my computer. I rarely, if ever, used my living room. Instead of moving everything and getting that space set up, we just crashed in my bedroom for some movies. Max ate through the pizzas I ordered and the Chinese food with no issues. And here I thought I might have leftovers. I don't think he'd ever heard of leftovers before. For the first movie, he looked in better spirits. All the sugar and caffeine might get him too hyper to deal with, but after the second movie started, he mellowed out a bit. I've never seen him this calm before, and it freaked me out a little. Are you alright with scary movies, or do you want to watch something else? I asked him. We started out with The Evil Dead because I had the DVD on hand. I reflected that I might be one of the last people left who still had a DVD drive in their computer to watch movies with, not even any Blu-rays. I owned some animated movies and thought he might like some cartoons better. With a yawn, he nodded his head and hugged the pillow tighter. The scary ones are fine. I like the zombie ones. The makeup on the zombies make them look tasty. He commented, but still sounded a bit tired. Reaching down, he found some jerky hidden away in our candy stash and ate a mouthful. I gave him a look, wondering how my friend saw me. I considered if we ever got trapped somehow while delivering mail, if he might see me as emergency rations. At least, I think he would agonize a little over the choice of eating me if it came to it. As we watched a movie I'd seen at least a hundred times, I wondered if I should talk to Max about why he'd been invited over that night. Aside from acting so drained, he didn't really seem like he felt upset over the loss of his mother. Since I'd been so young when mine disappeared, I didn't really remember the date it happened, and it wasn't a topic I brought up with my father at all. It'd been harder on him than on myself. My father acted distant while I grew up. I still loved him, but we didn't have the same kind of relationship Max and Rufus did. I sent him money and supported him as much as I could, but we didn't talk. When I did call him, he tended to try and pressure me into finding a girlfriend, and that was it. 
He knew nothing about my current job since I lied and said I'd landed something in IT, which he bought. I glanced up at Max when he yawned, then reached for some more snacks. At one point, I would like to ask him about what his mother was like. I think he would enjoy talking about her. Not tonight. After this movie, we should go to bed super early. He looked like he needed the rest. Being so focused on my thoughts, I didn't notice what his eyes started to focus on. You have a roommate? Yes, in a somewhat tense tone. No, why? I asked, confused. Then, who is that? I followed where his clawed finger pointed to the open bedroom door. I normally kept it shut, but with the two of us in the room, it would have gotten too stuffy. I also kept the lights on in the hallway. Looking out into a dark doorway was a bit too creepy for me to handle after working my current job. My brain didn't register what I saw for a few seconds because there shouldn't be anyone else in the apartment. We both looked through the open door into the dark shape standing at the end of the hallway. The entire form was black and without a face, but I knew it stared back. I did the only thing I could. I screamed like a little girl, sprang up and slammed the door. Footsteps came thudding down the hallway and I felt something charge against the door. Thankfully, I had also locked it on reflex and that kept it closed for now. The figure resorted to knocking and trying the handle instead of breaking down the door. I turned to ask Max what the hell just showed up and saw him trying to stand on uneven feet. When he fell forwards, I dove to catch him. We both sat on the floor, my friend feeling weak in my arms and just as scared as myself, his body flinching at every knock. I think that's a ghost. No wonder why I was feeling so weird when I showed up. I really can't. His words were cut off as we both let out strangled, scared noises seeing the door open. But who came through wasn't the dark shape we feared. Although, the person who just crashed the sleepover wasn't much better than a ghost. Belizus walked right inside and we screamed at her to not shut the door. But she'd already kicked it shut half a second after walking through it. The wooden locked door went back to being pounded on and rattled by the ghost on the other side. With magic, creatures are able to connect two doorways together. The mailing company gives their workers one charm a day to create a connection between doors just in case they get stuck somewhere or want a fast way home. I guess Belize has used her one free charm to invite herself over to the sleepover. From her reaction, she wasn't aware of the situation she walked into. When she looked at us cowering on the floor holding each other, her face spread into a grin, wondering what gossip she could spread. Is this a bad time? She teased. Hearing the doorknob rattling, she looked over her shoulder. It's a ghost. Max told her in a small voice. A ghost? She asked, and the word reached her brain very slowly. Once it clicked, she jumped and piled onto us, frightened as hell. I've never seen Beliza scared before and thought she was too dumb for that emotion. I struggled to get my head free from being clung onto from two very strong and scared creatures. It's just a ghost. We dealt with them on the last delivery job, right? Why are you freaking out? I asked her, trying to make sense of all this. That was different. They had bodies I could punch. She corrected. I nearly got crushed to death when the spirit on the other side of the door got impatient. We all screamed again when an extra loud bang came from the door. At this rate, the lock would give out soon. I didn't know how we had gotten lucky enough to not have the thing inside the room yet. Belizas did something none of us had thought of yet. She jumped up and tugged at the window, desperate to get it open. With a yell of pain, she shot back, nursing her suddenly raw hands. Both palms and the window still smoked where she touched it. Cursing, she stomped around the room trying to calm down. 
I always thought Belizas could be the strongest creature I'd met, and yet she couldn't do anything in this situation. She wasn't used to being powerless and didn't know how to react. For the first time, I noticed her outfit. She had track pants on and a comfy sweater that was cropped, leaving her stomach exposed. She really did just come here to crash our sleepover. I felt a pang in my chest and I wished that her inviting herself over had been the worst thing that happened that night. Are you telling me you two can't do anything when it comes to spirits? Like, have you ever come across one like this before? I asked. Sweat started on my forehead. I needed to protect Max but didn't even know where to start. If neither of them could do anything, then I had little to no hope of helping. Belizas paused to think, which was never a good thing. Her train of thought tended to arrive to the station far too early. Since she never needed to deal with a real ghost before, she didn't know for sure that she couldn't punch one. The only way to prove it wouldn't work was to test it out. She moved too fast. I didn't clue in to what she had planned until her hand had already landed on the door handle. Max and myself shouted at her to stop, but she boldly opened the door and swung a fist into the dark shape's empty face and then fell forwards into the darkness. The entire thing formed into a black mist and wrapped around her body. Both her and the mist fell into the floor. Our party crashers disappearing right in front of our eyes. I got up to go over to the spot where they had been and found it freezing cold and empty. In frustration, I punched my fist against the floor only to hurt myself in the end. Where did it take her? I asked, mostly to myself. The basement, I think. It's hard to tell, but I sort of feel like they landed there. Max replied and tried to get up again. His legs shook and I needed to go back to him to support his weight. Him being this weak wasn't natural. It might be related to the spirit, but I didn't know for sure yet. I helped him sit on my bed and got out my phone. Pausing at the screen, I didn't know who to call. It wasn't as if Ghostbusters was a real thing, and all the time I worked with my supernatural creatures, I didn't make any connections or friends who could run over to help. Supernatural creatures like us have issues with ghosts. They drain our strength just by being near us. If they take too much, we could die. I'm scared that Belizas might get all her internal magic stolen. If that happens, then the ghosts would be strong enough to actually hurt the humans in this building. Normally, spirits are harmless and don't have the energy to even be seen. I think it was draining my magic the entire time I was here. I'm sorry, I should have noticed sooner. Max explained, looking as guilty as he felt. It's not your fault, I should have known my place was haunted. Do you know if there is any way to save her? I asked, quickly worried over how much time had already passed. Max's face looked pale. He shook his head, which worried me more. I almost got angry at Belizas. What was the point of letting her eat my arm if she couldn't deal with one little ghost? There are some people who specialize in dealing with ghosts, but they're always so backed up case-wise. They're part of a corporation that only cares about saving humans from supernatural creatures. I could try calling them, but they'll only show up after she's... Max trailed off, unable to finish his thought. Belizas did act like a pain in the ass most of the time, but we both wanted her safe. I paced a little, trying to think of a way out of all of this. In the end, I decided on something I really didn't want to do. I thought back to the last delivery job and how I listened to those spirits. Dr. Wick said that had been enough to lay them to rest. I had the chance of saving one of the world's most annoying co-workers by putting myself in danger. I'm going down there. I told Max, who weakly started to protest, You should leave the building to be safe. Then call those ghost specialists and tell them what's going on. They might show up if they know there's a chance of this getting much worse. I might be able to save her before anything terrible happens, though. 
Max didn't look confident in the slightest. His big ears drooped to the side, making him look the saddest I've ever seen him. I hated how badly our fun movie night turned out to be, because he was unable to think of any other plan but leaving Belizeus to die. He caved and listened to me. I hurried him downstairs and saw him out the front door. He already had his phone in hand. Once he left the building, he started to look a little bit better. He wished me luck one last time on slightly shaking legs. I turned back inside and headed toward the laundry room stairs. The apartment building had a laundry room in the basement. The landlord kept the space as clean and well lit as possible, but beyond the laundry room was the rest of the basement. No one was allowed inside, but the lock to the door had been broken since before I moved in. If you jiggle it just right, you could go into the dusty and dank basement. Because of all the spiderwebs and lack of lighting, no one really went inside, beside the occasional teen to drink or smoke, thinking they're acting sneaky. It took a few minutes of fiddling with the lock to get inside the darker part of the basement. I used my phone as a flashlight and nearly tripped over leftover beer bottles by the door. A dull humming of some sort of machinery for the building made the place extra creepy. My hair on the back of my neck stood on end when a breeze of cold air hit my face. I kept telling myself to not freak out. After all, it was only a powerful angry ghost stalking in the dark. Every step made my heart work overtime. I scanned the dark and cluttered room, trying to find Belizeus. When my light landed on her, I nearly choked on my own fear. The dark shape stood above her, the mist twisting around her limp body. I held back a yell of anger over the thing that was hurting my friend. I needed to be calm and understanding with the spirit or else I couldn't help it finally rest. Hey, please leave her alone. I'm here. I'll listen. I half shouted in a trembling voice. When that thing turned a blank misty face in my direction, I nearly fainted. It started to gather its body together, ready to charge toward me. I wanted nothing more than to turn heel and run. But it wasn't just Belizeus I needed to save. It was everyone in the building and the ghost as well. I stood my ground when the mist cleared the distance in a second to wrap me up in what felt like a never-ending darkness. For a long time, I couldn't sense anything but a chill that went right down to my core. I fought to reach anything, even if it was harmful. I couldn't stand being in that darkness anymore. My body came tumbling through the cold, finding a pinprick of light. It took ages to reach it, but I finally found something other than the death-like feeling to deal with. Everything was hazy in that light, as if I started to watch a TV set through fogged up glasses with the fog also being inside my brain. Forcing myself to focus, I started to get some details to come through. Somehow, I knew I landed in nearly faded memories of the ghost. I told her I would listen, so she wanted to share whatever she still held of her life. She lived before my apartment building had been finished. She no longer could remember her own name or her appearance. From what I could see of her, I guess she was a very small teenager, still a child when she played with her friends in the unfinished basement of the apartments. That construction area turned into the most important place for her. Her and her friends did everything together there. They got some beers on occasion from a cool uncle of one of the friends, and sometimes cigarettes. She didn't like smoking, but did it to prove herself to the rest of them. She spent the best summer of her life hanging out, and even crawled out of her bedroom window late one night to have her first kiss in the unfinished basement. The whole memory was of a long, almost forgotten teenhood that should have ended in all of the friends growing up to carry on their own lives. A summer to look back on fondly after becoming an adult. All of her friends got that chance. 
but she'd been left behind. One day, she arrived early. The cool uncle was already there, ready to offer drinks. She refused them and talked with him alone for the first time. As the conversation got longer, she started to feel uneasy. For some reason, the older man had always been vague about which friend he was related to. By the time she realized none of her friends really knew for certain who this man was, it became far too late for her. The entire time they hung out around him, they all assumed he'd been one of their uncles without anyone confirming it. I turned my head away, unable to look at the rest. I sensed something at my back and noticed the dark shape of the ghost this small girl became over the years. I said I would listen, and yet I refused when it got to the most important part. She wanted someone else to see, to know what happened in that dark space of the past. My chest nearly broke open from the pain of what I needed to watch, a small girl being strangled by someone she trusted. If anything else happened to her, she wasn't certain. When she woke back up, she found herself in a dark, cramped space, neck sore and unable to move. Her eyes adjusted to find some light in the space, turning her head on a stiff, sore neck. She followed the sounds behind her. Her mouth was covered with tape, making it impossible to scream at what she saw. That man who thought she was dead had placed her inside an unfinished part of the wall. He had nearly covered the last part of the opening when their eyes met. For the first time, the memory became clear as she stared at the murderer's shocked expression. He debated on what to do and picked the worst option. He finished sealing up the opening, trapping her inside and subjecting her to an unimaginably slow death. I could feel the ghost at my back as we both experienced what it had been like to die within those walls. Those frantic attempts at breaking free from the bindings, the fear of being alone in the dark and the hallucinations that came from dehydration. The poor girl cried and begged, wanting to see her mother one last time, to just be out of the dark at the very least. None of those pleas were answered. Even after her death, she stayed aware of the cold darkness, of her body wasting away, and of the ones outside of the wall. She couldn't see them, but she sensed them when someone walked by, her soul screaming out the same sentence over and over again for years. I'm right here. She had just wanted someone to find her. A sadness overtook me, one that I almost lost my entire self to. It went beyond anything I've ever felt before. One of her friends rented a room in the apartment. Unaware, they started to live above someone they lost so long ago. They raised a family while the girl trapped in the wall started to change. Instead of misery, her emotions turned darker. She hated her old friend for having the life she should have lived. Then, by sheer chance, her aging mother moved in for a while. No matter how much she screamed, and no matter how much the hatred grew, no one heard her. Only once her murderer came by, he stood outside the wall, drunk and dying from old age. He sobbed, begging her to forgive him. Deep down, she might have if he exposed where he buried her. Being the piece of human trash he was, he died without telling a soul what he'd done, leaving her to rot further. All those emotions swirled around us. She wanted to take in as much energy from Belize's in order to tear apart the building and everyone inside it. 
her hatred became misplaced and landed on everyone who lived so close without knowing she'd been there the entire time. Her rage only grew while reliving those memories. All that darkness was about to spill over into harming someone innocent. I'm here. I can see you. Fighting through all of her rage and hate, I found her hand somewhere in the middle of it all. The air grew still after I spoke. The twisted dark shape froze, then started change into something smaller. Instead of an angry, vengeful ghost, there stood a scared little girl. Her face was blurry, but I knew her eyes were filled with tears. Did you find me? She asked in a voice so soft I barely heard her. Tears of my own flooded my eyes. Unable to help myself, I took her into a tight hug telling her everything I wanted her to hear through the years. How sorry I felt this happened to her, and how I wished I could have gotten to her sooner. Her own emotions broke as we both cried, holding on to each other as if nothing else existed. We couldn't change the past no matter how much we wanted. The only thing to do was to move forwards. I wanted to stay with her a bit longer. A voice calling out my name distracted us. She knew I needed to go, and calm down enough to be alone again. At least, it wouldn't be for very long. After I woke up, I would tear down the wall on my own if I needed to. I promised her that she would never be forgotten again. Then, we were separated. Toby, are you alright? I found myself on my back on the cold cement. Max sat beside me, looking down with a scared look on his face. I heard other people moving around and thought the basement was too bright. He helped me sit up to see men in suits moving around. They had already started to take apart the far wall and quickly put up a tarp to hide their progress. My body felt stiff and painful. My chest hurt most of all, and my face was cold from tears. Soon, a man in a suit joined Max and helped me to a chair. His long white hair was tied back, and he removed his sunglasses to show off red eyes. After having seen a real albino, I knew this man just had white hair. The rest of his body held bits of pigment, making him look a bit off. I'm Manny. My job is dealing with ghosts like the one you just faced. I assume you had a bad time, but you're alive, which is honestly pretty lucky. Do you know your name, your age, and all that? He asked in a kind voice. He handed me a bar of chocolate that I really didn't want to eat. With some prodding, I nibbled on the side of the bar and answered some basic questions to prove I hadn't lost my mind. Max got a peanut butter cup, and I fretted over him having chocolate as well. Manny assured me that dogs could have a little bit without making them too sick. Max could have one small piece, and he'd surely earned it. When it didn't look like the ghost experts would come over, Max threatened to use all his family connections unless someone got over to my apartment to deal with the ghost and to save his friend. I learned then that his stepmother was sort of a big deal, and he could use some leverage if needed, but disliked doing so. What's going to happen to her? I asked as I looked at the tarp covering the wall. Manny sighed, looking already tired. We'll identify her and return her to the family. If she doesn't have any, then we can arrange a service, and we'll do our best to figure out who did such a thing. Even if the murderer has passed on, we'll still track them down for the sake of the victim. He explained. At least she'll get her name back. Looking around, I spotted Beliza sleeping against a wall, someone having placed their suit jacket over her like a blanket. 
In the end, everything turned out as well as it could have. Is she still here? The ghost, I mean. I asked, the exhaustion starting to set in. It's hard to say. I think you took care of her, but she'll never really be gone. Not as long as you're alive. The problem that comes with ghosts is you'll always become haunted afterwards. Every death affects the living in some way. She may have been laid to rest by your efforts, but no matter what, you'll carry her until you die. Manny said, speaking from experience. I wondered how many ghosts he dealt with and just how many people he carried with him. I imagined this job wasn't easy and most people couldn't do it very often. I doubted I could deal with another ghost again, even if they weren't overly dangerous, I couldn't carry the heavy weight in my chest of another person's death. I tried to stand, finding that my legs refused to listen. Manny and Max took over, helping me back to my apartment. My body shut down the moment someone got me to bed, and I didn't even hear when someone carried Belize's upstairs as well. When I woke up later that day, it was almost the afternoon. My body was heavy and felt hot. Something tickled my nose and I tried to raise my arm, thinking it was just a stray hair. I found my arm too heavy to move. For a moment, I freaked out, thinking my false arm stopped working. I opened my eyes to see the cause of my uncomfortable state. Max had curled up on one side, his arms tight around my chest and fluffy ears on my face. Belizus was on my other side, her leg twisted around my own and arms somehow tangled into Max's and mine. It took a few minutes to sit up and to not wake them. I looked to either side, wondering when they both crashed in my small bed and how I could explain such a sight if anyone saw this. Good thing no one had any reason to be in my apartment to walk in on this. Hey boys, how was... My heart stopped when my bedroom door opened and Rufus stuck his head inside. He used his free door charm to come in and check up on his son without asking permission. Mind you, it wasn't as if he thought we would be doing anything that needed some privacy. His eyes landed on us, and his face froze in a friendly smile. His entrance didn't wake up either of the two still clinging to my side. He didn't say anything else, his expression was still pleasant, but clearly he started to internally panic at what he walked in on. I couldn't even explain myself by the time he closed the door. I really wish that ghost had swallowed me up or killed me that night. I would never live this sleepover down. It might have been from the stress of finding out my apartment building had been haunted, but I woke up sick the day after the failed sleepover with Max. I took some cold pills thinking I could push through it to finish my shift. Maybe I could go to the sorting room and do something a bit easier until I felt better. I walked a few blocks to get to the door that led me into work, and in those few blocks, I got much worse. I zipped my uniform jacket as far as it would go and buried half my face in the collar. Chills shook my body and my head heavy from illness. I was met by the normal sight, a single empty room with a small fold-out table but with Max and one of his sisters already inside. I opened my mouth to greet them and a cough came out instead. I stopped in front of the desk ready to get the day finished. The receptionist, a sister I'd yet to meet, stood up and came around to get a better look at my flushed face. Are you not feeling well? Max asked and he also gotten close. I'll survive. I replied in a small, rough voice. No, you might not depending on what creatures you'll come across. 
You're taking a day off. I'll call your doctor to come over when he's available for a home visit. Go back home until you recover. She told me and started to look through forms on her desk to fill out. I get sick days? I asked, shocked. She looked at me as if I wasn't the brightest bulb. The pay for this job was good, but I didn't know I also had sick days. I should ask if I also got vacation days. While I wasn't paying attention, Max got right next to me. He pulled down my jacket collar and to my shock, licked the entire side of my face. I let out a disgusted sound from suddenly having a wet cheek and his sister grabbed him before he could do it a second time. Ugh, Max, why? I demanded, offended and betrayed. I rubbed my cheek with the back of my jacket sleeve to get the dog slobber off. I'm sure he had a good reason for the gross lick, but he should have warned me first so I could try to dodge it. Whenever my sisters are feeling sick, I lick their faces until they feel better. It's a sure cure, and I find 66 licks works the best. He said very proudly. Your licking doesn't cure anything. We just say it works so you stop licking us. His sister admitted disgusted. Max looked distraught, having a childhood truth be revealed as a lie. I really didn't want to have a mental image of a child Max pinning down one of his poor sisters to lick their cheek. Preacher sure had a weird mindset when he came to these things. I let out a terrible sounding cough and both Max and his sister took a few steps back, holding each other. They looked pretty worried about catching whatever I had, even though I was positive a human illness stood no chance trying to infect a creature. I still kept away from them just in case, my face starting to flush from a fever. The sister of the day was nice enough to create a door back to my apartment to get me home and out of their hair faster. Max cheerfully waved before I left, saying he would think of something to make me feel better. Honestly, just having him seem worried was good enough. Besides my father, I didn't have any family. I really didn't keep any friends either. I was nice enough with my coworkers, but rarely, if ever, spent that much time with them outside work. I felt nice to have someone who cared. That feeling got overtaken by my fever. I took off my uniform jacket body starting to shake and aches creeping into my joints. I crawled into bed wanting to sleep the whole ordeal off. Looking back on it, I should have gotten someone over to keep an eye on me. I assumed they just had the flu and sleeping it off would cure it. I really didn't know what kind of illness I caught. When I woke up, my throat felt so raw I couldn't swallow my own spit. I needed a drink of water. When I sat up, my head became so dizzy I collapsed back into bed. My entire body shaking from a fever and body hurting only in the way flu pains could make you feel. I didn't remember the last time that it had ever gotten this bad. I felt so damn warm and yet I shook as if I had chills. I needed to get something to drink no matter how much it hurt. All of these were signs I had a fever so high I needed to get to the hospital. I risked frying my brain if my temperature didn't break. Being alone for my entire adult life made it so I didn't even think to call someone to help. With a great deal of effort, I got out of bed, nearly falling over. I needed to use my bedside table for support and then my bed. I moved so slowly, every step was a small victory. I got to the bathroom with a great deal of effort. In my fever haze, I considered having a shower to either cool me down or warm me up. I really didn't know what I was feeling. My head hot, but my body cold and painful from each shake. First, I wanted a drink of water. I bent over drinking right from the tap, my head swimming for a few seconds. The water stayed down just long enough for me to collapse to the bathroom floor and cough it back up. 
My throat hurt too damn much and my stomach protested having anything inside it. Soon, I was puking up bile and the last remains of the cold meds from earlier that day. I curled up on the bathroom floor, making an effort to clean up my mess but only had the strength to place a towel over the top of the wet spot. My face stayed on the cool tiles, body hurting from the flu and from shaking so damn much. While barely awake and on the floor, I stared through the open door down the short hallway. I squinted when I thought I saw a shape moving in the darkness of the other doorway. I made a weak attempt to raise my head and to call out, my throat burning and only ended up making a raspy noise. That figure noticed me. At first, I hoped it was Max coming by to check on me. The shape came into view and I weakly got up halfway. My brain frantic with fear, along with the fever messing with my thought process. What I looked at wasn't Max, or anyone I knew. I didn't know if it was even a someone. They were so tall, they needed to bend their neck to stand in the hallway. Head crooked and pale white eyes staring at me through dark tangled hair. The fingers all twisted and disjointed. The figure dressed in a layer of torn fabric stained with dark spots that looked a lot like mold. I couldn't move in my state. I could only sit on my bathroom floor helplessly, watching the creature take long steps at a time down my hallway. I grabbed onto the sink, pulling myself up. I wondered what I had to protect myself. My foot slipped and I fell backwards, a set of rough hands catching my fall. I made another noise that hurt my irritated throat. The creature made it inside the bathroom and easily caught me. I moved a hand to try and push the monster away, only to have the thing wrap its greasy hair around me, binding my arms to its chest. I always assumed I would die at my new job and not in my apartment. Oh, look at how tasty you look. So nice and warm. I'll enjoy this meal very much. The voice came from under the hair and the eyes scrunched up from a hidden smile. That voice caused my body to shake for a reason besides the fever. It was like nothing I ever heard before, as if ten people with sore or torn out throats spoke at once. The face got closer to mine and I made the best attempt at a scream my body could handle. To my sheer horror, the hair was pulled back to reveal a long mouth with black lips. Unable to save myself from what was coming, Creature pressed its lips against my own. I kicked and pushed causing me to use up all my strength, my head getting so dizzy I passed out on the spot. Being so close to a monster meant I should have died. I woke up, the memory still fresh causing me to scream awake. I screamed again when a second person in my room and beside my bed got startled by my first scream and shrieked as well. Soon, we both were screaming at each other. When my brain could process who was standing nearby, I calmed down a little, my heart beating out of my chest and breathing heavy. Max, I said in a voice hoarse from screaming so much. After I spoke, I noticed my throat was fine. Aside from all the yelling, my body didn't hurt and I only felt as if I overslept instead of dying like before. Was that monster just a fever dream? I looked at Max, wondering how long he'd been there for and if he knew what happened was just a nightmare or not. I came in to check in on you to see if the kiss of death came by. He said, face bright and recovered from his small shock. What? I said, using such a deadpan voice I'd never managed before. 
Oh, they're not as bad as they sound. They eat illness. Their name got mixed up years ago. They don't kiss people and they die, but they kiss sick or dying people to eat away most, if not all, of their illness. I asked one to come over to take care of you. They can't eat away big stuff like cancer, but a flu is no problem. Max sounded so cheerful and happy he helped a friend recover. I loved Max. I really did. This was the very rare time when I wanted to strangle him. Instead, I reached over to pull him into a hug. He was confused, but very happy. I refused to let go when he pulled back and his confusion grew. Max, I had a pretty bad fever. I was helpless and then a creepy creature came into my apartment to force me to kiss it. You maybe think that giving me a heads up might have been a good idea. I told him, keeping my voice even. Oh, you thought the kiss of death was creepy? I think they're pretty nice. Wait, were you scared? Max asked, sounding a bit worried and finally cluing into what he did. When I nodded to admit I was scared to death, he let out an upset cry and hugged me back. He promised to never do such a thing again and how sorry he was that he totally forgot my human standards were different than his. What's cute and nice to Max is a never-ending nightmare to me. I did forgive him pretty quickly and it was nice I wasn't sick anymore, but I would rather go through a flu than deal with a creature like that again. It was only after I researched my symptoms to see what I had, I found out I might have been suffering from a fever so high it could have killed me. Max honestly saved my life at the cost of me having a great deal of new nightmares going forward. My job requested I did stay home for one more extra day and then let me in the sorting room before they would let me go back to delivering. I gladly did the easy job of looking through different packages and envelopes with my very strange and sometimes downright scary co-workers. That day though, they all kind of seemed to stay away from me. I coughed once and reached for my water bottle and noticed everyone else had stopped working. I paused with them, trying to figure out the problem. Then I figured out they all either thought I was still able to infect them with some human illness, or some were concerned I was still sick because they actually cared about my well-being. By the end of the day, they all seemed to be less wary of me. I started to head out, ready to go home and rest when I came across Belize's. She heard I'd been sick and apparently knew the same false cure Max did. I didn't run fast enough to escape her grasp and got put into a headlock, yelling for someone to save me before she licked me. Max came in very soon for a rescue but assumed I got sick again and wanted to call in for another kiss which I greatly refused. Working with supernatural creatures can be hard. Sometimes, I wondered if things would be easier if one of them just ate me. For two weeks, I got into a good routine with work. I had a suspicion that me and my partner were getting stuck with the easy jobs no one wanted. There was no shortage of jobs that we just needed to hand off a package to an almost human-appearing creature, then getting their signature. For a while, I almost thought I might not come across any problems with my job. I was dead wrong. I walked into the zero room and saw Max arrive first. Our package to deliver strapped to his back. Good thing I had him because there was no way I could carry such a large wooden box. It was covered in odd writing and paper, also with strange symbols on them. I could have sworn I heard the box rattle when I stood next to Max. We're heading into a red light district to drop this off. It's on the supernatural side of things so there'll be a lot of creatures. 
He explained, adjusting the straps on the box. My attention was drawn from the box by his statement. Not only did he mention that we were headed to a pretty adult kind of place, he suggested we would be getting into somewhere dangerous like the maze. I really hated the maze. It changed nearly every time I went inside, and I nearly died there a few times. Where is this red light district? Like, inside the maze or something? I asked, trying to make sense of it. He shook his head and directed his attention over to his sister who gave him some sort of silent approval to explain a bit more. There are different worlds. We never really bothered telling you because, well, no one thought you would live long enough to go to one. He admitted. My surprise was ruined by everyone's lack of faith in their only human delivery worker. I suspected a whole multiverse idea but never really thought too much about it. After all, the maze wasn't a part of the same realm of existence I lived on. I never considered just how many other dimensions might be out there. And what was the maze? How far did it go? Was it larger than where I lived and housed countless creatures ready to overtake our world? And what kind of place would a supernatural red light district be? It'd be best if you don't think too deeply over this. It can get confusing really fast. You'll be fine traveling to a different world than your own. Just don't drink the water. Max said, and he took my hand so we could get a move on, delivering the huge box on his back. What happens if I drink the water? I asked. His response was a tight smile. I did not want him to go into detail about what could cause that expression. I just followed along with him and out the door, into a place where humans rarely went, besides his food for the creatures that lived there. At least, this answered the question about where Max lived and how he lacked knowledge of human culture when we first met. If he didn't live on the same level of existence than myself, we may never had met if I didn't get this job. That made me wonder again what Max was. He's never told me a name for his species. He may look like a cute dog person, but I've seen hints of how scary he could be. My thoughts derailed when we arrived to our destination. The long streets were crowded with countless different creatures of all shapes and sizes. Others called out in languages that no human tongue could ever form. Max kept a good hold of my hand so we didn't get separated. Because we wore male uniforms, the creatures acted pretty respectfully towards us. Some shuffled out of the way the best they could to let us carry on with our jobs. The buildings were pretty much piled onto each other with a mixture of glowing flames and a floating light of different colors shining through the night. I glanced over at some sort of food stall selling what looked to be grilled rats. It smelled far too good for what they served. As we walked deeper into the long main street, I felt my face flush seeing the other advertisements in the windows and on the pathway. Some practically naked human appearing creatures were trying to lure other creatures inside. This place really lived up to its name. I didn't want Max to see such a thing being the innocent creature he was. To my horror, a woman, only wearing some very well-placed ribbons, came over to us. Max appeared to know her, and they spoke in a strange language. She gave his head a little pat and kissed his forehead before letting us go back to work. I stared at him, trying to make sense of the interaction. He noticed and showed a smile my way. I'm very popular here, he said without a hint of shame. My feet got glued to the ground as my worldview started to tumble down. Max was popular with the girls. My cute, innocent Max was being recognized by pretty much all the workers here. He clued into what I was thinking and finally corrected my train of thought. Oh, my father comes here often. I'm popular through him. I don't use any services they offer, but all the workers like to say hello when they can. 
He explained, which helped ease my mini heart attack. We started walking again, but knowing Rufus got around didn't help my mood at all. I did not want to think about him hiring these kinds of services either. So, Rufus and your sister's mother isn't together anymore? I asked. If he was here often, that meant he wasn't married, right? Max shook his head and paused to think of a way to explain in a way a human may understand. He got married and had my sisters as a power move, if that makes sense. They're still married in order to combine the family's strength. In fact, I've been promised to marry and produce a child with my stepniece in order to boost the whole power thing more. My dad can go off and, well, be with any kind of creature he wants as long as he doesn't produce another child, but I feel as if that didn't happen on accident. He would just accept the mother and child into our family. It never hurts having another helping set of hands. I chewed on my bottom lip unsure how I felt about this. It was clear Max loved his sisters, and no matter how much they tried to hide it, they loved him too. I didn't like the idea of him being forced into a relationship just for the sake of making another strong creature to back up the family's ranking. I stopped walking again, holding on to his hand feeling uneasy. Are you alright with that? Sleeping with someone because you were told to? I asked. He gave a shrug, but I could see it bothered him a little more than he wanted to let on. Right now, I don't even have a step-niece. If one comes along, it'll take a few hundred years before she gets old enough to marry. My step-aunt might not even ever have a daughter. I'm not overly worried about it, but if it happens, well, I think I can deal with it. It won't be traumatizing if I need to sleep with someone I don't care for. We both stood in the middle of the crown, thinking over what he said. I kept a tight grip on his hand, feeling the warm, soft pads against my palm. Max lived in a completely different world than myself. He was raised in an environment with a whole culture that I wasn't a part of. Most likely, he'd known he would need to marry someone he didn't love since he was a child. For his kind, marriage was for power, and not for love. It wasn't my place to judge their system, it still didn't sit right with me though. Max could read my silent expression and gave me a quick hug trying to assure me he really was fine with this planned future. I found it hard to hug him back because he still wore that huge box we needed to deliver. We started walking again, going through the crowd. Max paused to go buy some sort of meat on a stick which I declined to try a bite of. So, uh, what if you fall in love with someone and want to marry them? Would you not be able to do so? I asked, trying to clear up some questions. I guess it depends on the creature, but we have no limit on spouses. More the better where I come from, but it's different from family to family. Honestly, I've never been interested in that stuff. I wondered if it's because I just became a full adult. I like thinking more about what to eat the next day than getting all romantic with someone, you know? Max said between bites of food. I understood him, aside from the shame of still holding a v-card at my age, I really didn't feel motivated to find a girlfriend. Now with work, I found a bunch of friends I cared for, I didn't feel that lonely anymore. It would be nice to have someone to come home to though, but I didn't feel pressed on finding a partner right away. After a long walk, we finally found where we needed to deliver the box to. It looked like a large, dark warehouse. A sliding door was open for us. The moment we walked inside, the door closed, leaving us in a very dimly lit open space. Max didn't look scared in the slightest. I shouldn't be as frightened as I felt, but I couldn't help it. This was spooky. You were both a little late. Did you take a break to enjoy what some of the shops have to offer? A voice asked from behind the darkness. 
A man came forwards into the light. He wore a sharp suit and had perfectly styled hair. Aside for his yellow eyes and scales on his cheeks, he looked human. His voice had a hint of an accent that matched his confident pose. Two more men came to stand behind him. They might as well be triplets. They all looked the same beside the unnatural eye colors. We did. Sorry. Max admitted as he walked over to place the box down. He got something to eat. I quickly corrected. The leader let himself smile for a second at us. He signed the sheet Max offered, saying we finished our job. For some reason, Max moved fast afterwards. He took long steps back to me to take my arm. I found myself being hustled away as the man in the suit bent over to pull a piece of paper off the box. I looked over my shoulder to see him lift off the wooden lid, and then the box fell apart. I knew why Max wanted me to leave before I saw what we delivered. The moment my eyes landed on what was inside, I planted my feet hard on the ground. I turned my body back around ready to deal with what I was seeing. Inside the box was a sleeping person. I guessed them to be male even though they had long hair. Well, it wasn't really hair. They only wore a long white shirt over top of a transparent body. The long hair looked as if someone shaped it out of gelatin. The figure moved after spilling out of the open box. They sat up, barely able to keep their head raised, both arms firmly tied behind their back. The man in the suit reached down to take a hold of the poor person's arm to lift them on their feet. Once standing, a scared expression came over the creature's face. They looked over in my direction and our eyes met. They had a round spot of transparent orange that reminded me of an egg yolk inside their head. It helped give their face some definition. I could see the frightened expression clearly. This person begging me for help. What are you going to do with him? I asked in a low voice. Max appeared stressed beside me but didn't say anything. He took a hold of my hand as if he wanted to protect me from something. The men in the suits gave a small smile that twisted my stomach. The one wrapped a hand around the clear creature's waist and it made the poor thing turn their head away in disgust. But they knew better not to try and escape from the men. Where do you think we are? It's clear we're going to put this little thing to work. The man said, the two behind him joined with a low laugh. I felt sick. The room spun for a second. We were a part of this. We delivered this person to these monsters. I refused to let this happen. I took a step forward, Max trying to keep me back with his hand over mine. He's a person. You can't... I started, my face hot in rage. You're human, so you won't understand. The man cut in. That doesn't have to do with any of this. You just can't force someone to that kind of work. I pressed. Max pulled me back, his concerned face calming me down before I snapped in a fit of rage. The man shook his head with a sigh, as if he was dealing with a child. This creature is artificially made. Due to them being so new, they don't have a species name, but some have taken a liking to call them bedroom tools. You can understand why, can't you? He said with a terrible smile on his face. I gritted my teeth wanting to punch him, to do anything to bring this poor creature out of this situation. But let me rest some worries you may have. Normally, these creatures have no sentence of their own. They can only do what they are told, like an empty doll. This one not only has a rare coloring, but also holds intelligence. He removed his hand from around the creature's waist to grab under his chin in order to force him to raise it. I nearly did punch him then for handling the creature in such a disrespectful way. 
It's illegal to use the sentient ones in that sort of way because their race is considered property. You are able to own one, but if they are aware of themselves, you cannot force them to do such work. Max interrupted. A small ray of hope appeared only to be put out a few seconds later. Recently, we found a spell that removes their sense of self. If they are no longer aware, then we can use them however we wish, correct? The man asked. He pushed the creature aside so his two backups could take a hold of one arm just in case the creature made a run for it. They weren't being rough, but made it clear they would be if it came to that. That spell hasn't been proven to work yet. We don't know if the creatures are not fully aware or if you're just sealing their expressions. Max said, his hair started to puff up in the way it did when he was angry. My partner's tone sounded calm, but he gripped my hand so tightly, it hurt. I didn't pull away from him wanting the pain to override my sense of dread. That's not our issue. We now own a rare specimen of a highly sought out species. After using a spell, we can legally put him to work. We need to make what we sunk into this thing back, so unless you have something to offer, we're done here. What do you want for him? I asked quickly without letting myself think. Toby, Max said as a warning. His concern came too late. The three men's eyes lit up. Literally each of them flashed color for a second. The lead wasn't able to hide a brief smile. They wanted me to make an offer, but I was human. What would they want from someone like me? You're a virgin, correct? No sense in lying, we can smell it from here. It felt like my entire body sunk into the ground. I looked between the men staring at me as if I was a piece of meat. Then I looked at the scared face of the creature I wanted to save. Did he ask that question because he wanted me to take the creature's place? I swallowed hard, considering my options. My body shook as dread overtook my thoughts. No matter how much I hated the idea, I would agree to switch places with that creature if it came to that. No wonder why Max didn't want to stick around after we finished the delivery. I am. I said in a weak voice. We want your blood. In exchange, we'll trade for this creature. The man replied in a cool voice. That's it? I said, shocked. I knew my blood was sought after because it helped creatures heal faster, but I never assumed it would be worth as much as a person. Max gave my hand another warning squeeze. He clearly knew something I didn't. How much of it? I asked, the fear coming back. A wide grin appeared on his face that sent chills down my back. All of it. The creature I wanted to save turned their head away. They knew I would refuse to give up my life to save them. I frantically ran through the offer in my mind trying to think of a way to make it out of this alive. I didn't want someone being forced into such a dreadful life, but I also didn't want to die either. I looked over at Max considering the trade. Besides him and my co-workers, would anyone really miss me that much? I've been saving my pay from this job and my father would be comfortable if I died that day. He may be upset I died before him, but it wasn't as if we really talked that much nowadays. Alright, we'll trade you the same amount of blood a human his size holds in exchange for ownership of that creature. Max said, and his words startled me. I did consider giving up my life, but I didn't think he would have thrown me to the wolves with such a calm voice. I panicked a little, wondering why Max would do such a thing. I knew he cared about me. There needed to be a trick in his words somewhere I wasn't seeing. The three men started to get closer, their expressions making me take a step back. But I'll also offer you two lunar flowers in exchange for you keeping this trade a secret. Max said. That made the men stop walking. 
They looked at each other almost nervous. I once again had no idea what was going on. How would someone like you two have access to such a thing? We'll agree to such a trade only if you can provide what you're offering. The one said in a low voice sounding very threatening. He assumed Max was playing some sort of game none of us really knew about just yet. My friend smiled as if he didn't have three very menacing people staring him down. With a nod, he let go of my hand and gestured for them to let the creature go. Alright, both deals are good. Can you let go of him now? He looks scared. Max said. The men looked at each other and finally pushed the creature towards us. They hesitated and took careful steps forwards on shaking legs. To them, they just traded to a pair of people they didn't know if they could trust. I quickly took off my jacket to offer to the poor clear person shaking from fear. After a second, they reached out a hand to take the jacket and quickly wrapped it around their trembling shoulders. Then, all at once, those men were around me, eyes blazing with color, teeth sharp, and claws out. We'll be taking half our trade now. A low voice rasped out. My heart started to race. If Max had a plan, now was the time to say so. I walked back into my friend and he took a hold of my shoulders to keep me in place. I almost doubted him for a few seconds. I'll call Dr. Philo. He already has taken Toby's blood and has it stored. He also holds onto the flowers for me. If you would like, I can ask him to mix the flowers and blood into the medicine I assume you three wanted for. The men let their monstrous expression drop. They all looked pretty confused on what Max offered. I wanted to kick myself for being so stupid. I've been donating blood as often as possible since I started to work as a mailman. I didn't think there was so much stocked up, but of course, that would be what Max would offer first. The three looked like they wanted to accept the offer, but didn't want to admit they got played by a cute boy with dog ears. Well, since we were going to hire him to make it ourselves, this would save some time, but you are covering the cost of the mixture. The leader said, crossing his arms, his followers mimicked him. I finally relaxed a little as Max made the phone call. I directed my attention back to the creature we saved, wondering what to do with him, or her, I really couldn't tell. Maybe they could work delivering mail. Then again, seeing how scared and weak they seemed to be, this job might be a bad idea. Hey, um, sorry you went through all of this. I promise I won't touch you. In fact, no one is going to touch you without your permission, okay? I said, hoping that eased some fears a little. They blinked a pair of oddly transparent eyes at me. The shaking slowly stopped, but they didn't really look fully relaxed just yet. Max told us Dr. Phila would be there in a few minutes with what they asked for. I wondered what kind of medicine he was making. It must be really powerful if so much of my blood and some mystery flowers was going into it. Before he arrives, we need to do one thing. The man said, making us look over to the three. Again, to my shock, all three of them got a few steps before the clear creature and then got on their knees. At the same time, they all bowed so low, their foreheads touched the ground. We're sorry for mistreating you. All three said at once. I, once again, had no idea what was going on. They stood up and brushed the dirt from their knees, all looking like much kinder people. They dropped the imitating expressions that made them all appear like completely different people. They noticed my expression, and one decided to explain their actions. We're all Wyrams. I suppose a human like yourself wouldn't understand, but we're seen as lesser than other supernatural creatures because we're related to dragons. All of us have been bought and sold, then finally ended up here. One explained, 
I glanced at Max who filled in a little bit more. Dragons come from a different world that goes beyond the Silver King's realm. Nearly all creatures don't respect them because they don't follow the king's orders. I'll have to ask him to fully flesh out that concept later. Our current owner has been very kind to us. He's given us a great deal of freedoms, but fell ill. We wanted to get something to make her better and heard a human was working as a mailman. We pooled our money together to buy this creature, hoping you would offer your blood in exchange. That information made my mouth drop open. These three were acting the entire time? Was this creature ever even any risk of being forced into such terrible labor? If you refused, we were going to find a place for this creature to go. We all have been forced into some jobs we didn't want to do. We like our jobs now, but didn't want another person to go through the same thing we did. I wanted to be mad. I really did. But in the end, everything turned out just fine. I got so scared for my life over nothing. I assumed that all might be the case after you three requested us and had such a large package to deliver. Max chipped in with a smile that puffed up his cheeks. I also wanted to be upset that Max was smarter than myself in seeing through their actions. He knew off the bat that I would start bargaining for the creature and thought of a way for everyone to get what they wanted at so little of a cost. Soon, Dr. Philo came by with a jar in hand. The three men swarmed him, excited to have the coveted medicine in hand. I couldn't bring myself to dislike them after everything. Since he was here, Dr. Philo came over to do a very fast checkup on my arm. It hadn't been giving me that many issues nowadays, I've pretty much gotten used to how stiff it felt and other minor issues with it. I didn't think you had so much of my blood on hand, I commented. I didn't. We made some synthetic blood from a minor amount of yours. A drop can produce a liter, so it's been very useful in the clinic. He said after he finished looking over my arm. The three in suits paused to look at their jar, now suspicious of the content. Philo noticed this and tossed over two very small glass vials to them. One is a drop of normal blood, the other is synthetic. If you can tell the difference, I'll let you drain Toby right now. He stated in a huffy tone. What? My fears were ignored again. Thankfully, after a long debate, none of them could tell which held the produced blood and accepted the medicine was good enough. I now understood why Max tossed in some extra flowers in order to keep this deal from getting out. If creatures found out I would trade my blood for a life, the forced trades would never stop. A sound of someone saying oh, knock no. knock made me look over to the main door to watch Rufus of all people walk inside. Thankfully, he had a new leg and walked pretty steady on this one. Well, what are you doing here? I asked, but was still happy to see him. Max told me of the friend you picked up. I doubt the slime creature can talk right now. I've raised a bunch of kids so I offered to get them up to speed. He said in his friendly voice. I looked at the clear creature, realizing it did look a lot like those slime people from newer anime. I haven't watched any in a while, so didn't clue in until now. Rufus went over to them and held out a hand. He was so friendly and kind, the slime creature took his offered hand right away, feeling comfortable with the offer. Do you have a name? Rufus asked the creature. They shook their head and then, for some reason, looked over at me. Since I traded my blood, I sort of owned them. I didn't like that idea at all but I didn't want them to go without a name either. I could give them a nickname for now, and they could change it later. How about Sunny? I asked, wondering if that would be too weird or not. A smile finally broke through on the creature's face. Sunny it was, and the bright expression really suited them. They made a move to give me back my jacket, but I said they could hold on to it for a while. I did have a backup one after all. With that settled, 
Rufus gladly went with Dr. Philo so they could give Sonny a checkup. I didn't know how long Sonny might be gone for, but at some point, I needed to make room for a new person in my apartment until we thought of some better arrangement. With all that settled, we were about ready to leave. For once, I was in a good mood after a job that had been somewhat scary for me. The three thanked us again for agreeing to such a deal and taking care of Sonny. I nodded, telling them to take care of themselves. We should have left sooner. The few minutes of polite goodbyes was my undoing. A shape moved in the darkness of the warehouse. Due to the place being only partly lit, I had no idea how large it really was. A sound came, and I soon clued in to what it was breathing. The fear came back when I realized something very, very large appeared in the dark watching us. What are my three little ones doing, hmm? Bothering the delivery workers? The voices sounded kind. Far too kind, as if they were trying too hard to not sound threatening. It tugged at my nerves. The three men smiled to look back at the darkness. A set of eyes flickered open to stare at us. Eyes so large they dwarfed us in size. Then, more eyes opened in the dark, reflecting the light back. A horde of very small creatures stared at us between those other massive eyes. Mistress, we heard you got sick. We arranged to get some medicine for you. In front of this hidden monster, the men started to act as excited as children. I had a different reaction. My heart almost stopped when a very large finger came from the dark. It carefully gave each man a small pat on the head with the very tip of the claw. Then the eyes turned their attention back to me, nearly making me faint. That's very nice of you. I am feeling fine now. Keep what you earn for the future in case I fall ill once again. For the human, I thank you for putting up with these three. In exchange for being so kind, I shall sleep with you once, anytime you like. I shook my head before the monster stopped speaking. I faced death so many times, and yet I rarely got this frightened. I didn't want to know what this creature looked like, let alone take it up on the offer. A laugh came from the dark that made my teeth chatter. <laughs> oh, you shall accept. At some point, they always do. Come now, you three. You have work to do. The eyes closed, and I heard the monster turn to leave. The men followed behind after giving us a wave goodbye. Max noticed how shaken I was after such a short interaction. He picked a shortcut to get back to the Zero Room, and I suspect he ensured we got very easy jobs for the rest of the day. By the time I got home, I felt so shaken I could barely do much more than curl up in bed, wallowing in my own dread. Besides just how frightening a massive creature like that could be, I was mostly scared of what kind of hold it had on me. I shook my head no at the offer, and yet internally, my mind wanted to say yes. That monster's offer had a pull on me, in a way nothing ever had before. I just wanted to sleep and forget about it. It took a few hours, but I forced myself to think about the new roommate that was going to move in shortly. If I didn't focus on that, I might let my mind drift back to accepting that offer. I knew if I did, I no longer could return to myself. Planning out what I could do for Sonny really did save me that night, but I find, even now, a very small part of myself whispering it wasn't too late to find and meet that dark mistress. I just pray I never really listen to that part of myself.